0: You're
1: listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck? on mmafighting.com. My name is Mike Hack. Thank you so much for watching or listening to the show this week. And what a week it is, everybody, because for the first time since right around March 9th or so, we can say it's fight week. For the UFC, sports are back. MMA is back and it is back on Saturday night emanating from Jacksonville, Florida. UFC 249 and this card is something else. Of course, the fight everyone's been talking about. The main event for the UFC interim lightweight title. Tony Ferguson taking on Justin Gaethje. Co-main event. Henry Cejudo defending his bantamweight title against Dominic Cruz. I am so fascinated by that fight. I can't even begin to tell you. I think that's the storyline of the entire card. Obviously, all eyes are on Ferguson and Gaethje. But storyline-wise, I'm a big storyline guy. Cejudo versus Cruz. Has all the stories. Very excited for that. Then we got Francis Ngannou versus Jaruzinho Rosenstrike. Huge fight in the heavyweight division. We got Jeremy Stephens versus Calvin Cater. Huge fight, 145 pounds, which, by the way, if you missed it, I did speak with Calvin Cater on Monday. That is up on the MMA Fighting YouTube page. so go ahead and check that out after you watch the show, of course. You got Greg Hardy versus Jorgen DiCastro. That rounds out the main card. The prelims are fantastic as well. I mean, Anthony Pettis versus Donald Cerrone is on the prelims. That's how crazy this card is. A lot of great matchups coming up on Saturday night and over the next... Nine or so days, and even more than that as well. We're going to talk a bunch about UFC 249 on the show this week, and after Saturday, short break, back at it again on Wednesday night on ESPN Plus. Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira will headline that event, and then next Saturday, May 16th, Walt Harris versus Alistair Overeem will be the main event for that card. A lot more on those events coming up on the program as well. There's of course a lot of other things to discuss. We're going to save those for another time because. We are loaded this week on what the heck. So let's run down the lineup and we'll get right to the first interview. Closing things out, the main event, so to speak, a man who, as you'll hear, wants to be the new commissioner of Fight Island, Michael Chiesa. We're going to talk about his Instagram post last week, which made some headlines, where that all came from, how he's found his new professional rival. Plus, we're going to get his perspective on some of the big fights happening this Saturday. At UFC 249 before that we're gonna check in with one of the newest members of the UFC roster Ike Villanueva as we confirmed and was first reported by my good friend Nolan King on Friday night Ike Villanueva will fight the returning Chase Sherman on Wednesday night in Jacksonville and for those who have followed my career pre MMA fighting I spent a lot of time interviewing a lot of the up-and-coming fighters, guys who are on the cusp of a UFC call, a lot of prospects. And Ike is one of those guys. And at the age of 36, he is finally getting his shot. If you don't know who the Hurricane is, you're going to learn all about him later on in the show. The Wizard himself, Ryan Hall, is going to join us a little bit later on. What a fascinating guy he is. He was scheduled to face Ricardo Lamas this past weekend at that event in Oklahoma City. Obviously, it was postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but the fight has not been rescheduled to this point, and Ryan's going to explain why. Plus, we just talk about a variety of different things, including Ferguson versus Gaethje. Loved his breakdown on that fight. It was just one of those conversations that I enjoyed so much. That actually lost track of the time that's that's what happened i mean it's, it's just a really good conversation I really enjoyed it that's coming up later on i think you guys are going to dig that one in around 20 minutes or so you're going to hear from one of the fighters a lot of folks have their eye on in the ufc women's bantamweight division julia avila the raging panda is going to join us to talk about her scheduled fight with carol rosa being off the table not once not twice but three times and Also, when she may be able to get back into the Octagon to build upon her uh, successful promotional debut back in July, a unanimous decision win over Penny Kanza during International Fight Week. But more importantly, Julia is doing amazing things in the fight against the coronavirus. You'll hear all about that and a lot more shortly. But first, let's check in with a man that's returning to the Octagon over this trio of events over the next nine days. That is going to be your boy, Eric Anders. But before he heads to Jacksonville, to take on Christoph Yatko on May 16th. He's gonna join us right here on What the Heck to Talk About the Fight, preparing and sharing the card with his good friend Walt Harris and much more. Here he is, your boy, Eric Anders. All right, we are being joined by your boy, Eric Anders. He'll be back in action in around a week's time. May 16th is gonna face Christoph Yaakko in Jacksonville, Florida. The UFC is back and So is Eric Anders. Eric, how are you?
2: Man, uh, doing awesome, man. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. This has been quite the road for everybody. And this fight was supposed to happen on April 11th in Portland. And now you got the same matchup just around a month later. From talking to you for so many years, even before your LFA days, something tells me outside of the actual date on the calendar that not much has changed for you. Is that accurate?
2: Man, yeah, not much at all. You know, we've been training... Uh, pretty much just to be honest with you kind of ignoring uh the coronavirus and uh, man, I think you know me and I know my kids and uh you know maybe two or three other people from the gym probably already had it in uh, early January you know a bug kind of came through that nobody everybody just kind of wrote it off as the flu so you know I'm good I'm sure I already got the antibodies and everything so uh, I'm just ready to show up and fight now
1: yeah that's something i was thinking about as well because i never really get sick like i have seasonal allergies and that's the worst it gets for me Mm -hmm. throughout the year but in february my seven-year-old got sick i got so sick i was i was in bed for a week straight and never felt that way before so i probably had it right
2: (laughs) yeah man my uh my youngest son slept for literally 24 hours and he never sleeps um and he was sick not feeling good and all that other good stuff and uh man I, I you know his his wrestling coach uh came to the gym and uh was training and working on some wrestling and stuff like that and he was like yeah i had it. my wife is a nurse i didn't get tested for it, but she got tested for it and was positive so uh she had it i had it and i'm sure that you know several kids on that on that wrestling team had it as well
1: sheesh what a wild time huh you know uh
2: but you know everybody's over it now so it's all good um you know, sports are, you know, starting to to come back online and whatnot, starting with the UFC. So, you know, I'm uh, super happy to be a part of the organization that's kind of putting the pedal to the metal and, and making things happen.
1: So once this fight got officially postponed, you just kept training, going about your everyday life, and when the phone eventually rang, you were ready to go.
2: Yeah, man. You know, I, I pretty much live in the gym and train all the time, so... You know, outside of, like, my diet and uh, more, like, cardio sessions and uh, things like that, you know, I'm pretty much doing the same thing anyways.
1: So what has it been like, you know, being in Alabama? Like, I know it's under a lot of the same restrictions as the rest of the country. So how have you been sort of handling the day-to-day structure of, of training and getting ready?
2: Uh, man, you know, like I said, we never stop training, even when they say shut the gyms down and all that other good stuff. Uh, we were supposed to fight in April, so Walt and I were supposed to fight in April. So uh, we just decided to, to keep grinding, keep you know, keep training, keep working, and then uh, you know we, we even got you know snitched on. Some lady came <laughs> up through the gym. I don't know who she is, and we didn't get her license plate number or nothing like that. But uh, she came up to the gym, was looking in the glass, saw us training, and, and turned around and, and started pushing buttons on her phone. So we all know what that is. And then five minutes later, the police showed up and said, we had to go. So, uh, But as soon as he left, we, we finished our training session anyway, <laughs> and then, you know, took off. Uh, so, man, really the only thing that's changed is, like, the times that we train, uh, because, you know, we, we people are like that. And we do have to like sneak around and cover of the night and whatnot. So, you know, we might train at like 12 noon one day and six at night the next. So, uh, the time of training is really the only inconsistent thing yet.
1: What's well, like the sleuthiest thing you guys have done to get a training session in? If you had to like block the windows or anything like that, like, cause, you know, you don't want to get snitched on again.
2: Man, we were going to do that, but uh, we actually opened up a, a bigger location right down the street. So, you know, uh, we just kind of acted like we were doing construction and stuff, and and uh, laying mats down. And and the new spot, like the the front of the building, faces away from the highway, so you can't see inside unless you drive past it. So, you know, it's um, and we haven't been snitched on yet. So, hopefully, we get past these next two weeks, and you know that you know it's it is what it is.
1: That's pretty rough, man. That someone would just would just snitch on you like that. Like to each their own, and I understand like people are. You know, they, they look at the coronavirus in different ways. And I, I guess you have to kind of agree with all the stances here. But to have someone actually, like, look in the window, looking for trouble like that, like that had have been a little bit frustrating, right?
2: Yeah, man. You know, uh, um, she was gone before anybody could get to the door. And, you know, in hindsight, you know, I, I wish that she wouldn't have been, you know, out of her one of those in her face uh, before she called the police. So, uh, you know, give her a reason, you know.
1: There you go. So when when do you guys all head out to Jacksonville? I know it's like a seven-hour drive from where you're at, but a short flight, so that has to be pretty convenient. When are you guys going to head out?
2: Uh, we're leaving on Tuesday. You know, the year, I usually, when I fly to 85, man, you know, that weight cut can get a little, little drastic. And, you know, flying on the plane makes you, like, retain water, at least me anyway. So I usually try to get in on Sunday. Uh, they said we can only get in on Tuesday, so I think we get in at, like, You know, 6 p.m. on on Tuesday evening. So, uh, still enough time for me to get to the hotel, get checked in, go for a run, and and do what I need to do, get a workout in. Um, So, you know, we're just, yeah, we're we're flying, though. We ain't ain't driving no (laughs) more. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so you're going to fight Christoph Jaco, who, if you look at it, in terms of recent activity, there's a lot of similarities there. Like, both of you were in the middle of three-fight losing streaks. Both were able to bounce back and pick up back-to-back wins. And both of you are heading into this fight, coming off a split-decision win in your last fight. Had you been aware of, like, the, the similar road you guys have been on heading into this one?
2: Um, Man, you know, I, I know that he was in the top 15 at one point. Um I really didn't know until just the other day that he had a three-fight losing streak. I thought he had lost, you know, one or two. I know that Brad Tavares and uh, Uriah Hall put him out. So, you know, I figured that, you know, he had lost two. Uh, But I knew he won his last two or three. And, uh, you know, confidence is is, is a really big part of, you know, the fight game. You know, you may not necessarily be the best fighter in there. But as long as you think you are, you know, you you know, you can probably do a little damage or whatnot. So, you know, I, I think he's riding, uh, you know, winning, having, having a win streak like that, you know, is, is super crucial for your confidence. So I'm sure he'll come in there and, you know, try and implement his game plan and uh, try to take me out like he's done the last three.
1: How do you like this fight from like a stylistic perspective? I know you you more or less Focus on yourself. I mean he does have some finishes on his record, but I think most would agree that should this fight not go the distance, you'd probably be favored in that regard if we're looking into the future. But what are your thoughts on Kristoff on as an opponent?
2: Um, man, you know, he finds a way to win, and that's all that matters at this point. You know, getting that hand raised, collecting a pool check, and then taking it to the house. So, you know, he's you know, obviously found his niche and, you know, got back on the winning streak and, you know, Probably looking at uh is he on a two or three fight winning streak? Two, two. So he's probably looking to, to be on a three fight winning streak.
1: You're a, you're a very relaxed individual in in regards to this crazy fight game we love so much. Like I've talked to you so many times at this point. Like you don't talk a lot of trash. If an opinion needs to fly, you let it fly as needed. But for the most part, you approach each fight pretty much the same. Do you need to find any extra motivation for these fights? Like, is there anything that you look at to sort of add to your intensity in any way heading into May sixteenth?
2: Uh, Not really, man. You know, the main competition is with myself. You know, as long as I go out there and do what I'm capable of doing and performing how I know I can perform, uh, you know, it's going to be a short night for me. So uh, I just got to go out there and be me.
1: One aspect of this event, and you mentioned it, that's really cool is that you're going to be sharing this card with Walt Harris. He's going to headline against Alistair Overeem, and it's going to be his first fight since the tragic news of his stepdaughter surface. And as a father myself, I can't imagine what he has gone through over the last several months but to be on this card with waltz to to be there with him for fight week as you guys look to advance your careers this could be a pretty memorable night for the both of you guys what does that mean to you
2: man it means everything i think the last time that uh, him and i fought on the same card was on a local promotion here in uh here in birmingham i was actually an amateur i think it was 2012 maybe and You know, I won and he went out. I can't remember who I fought. Uh, I know I won, though. And then he went out there and knocked out uh, Josh. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was an American top team guy. So, um, man, he went out there and knocked that guy out. And, uh, you know, we're looking to repeat the similar results come May 16th.
1: You seem to roll with with each and every punch that comes your way, but especially in these times, does it make things a lot easier having a guy like Walt, another friend or teammate, on the same car with you, even if it's just to talk about other things besides fighting?
2: Man, you know, it, it's uh, man, I, I think training with Walt has—he's getting ready for a fight, and I'm getting ready for a fight. Man, I think we're both looking really good right now. You know, I think that's uh, Jocko's biggest asset that he has in this fight is speed, but. You know, Walt's got it dialed in, and I, you know, am willing to take the Pepsi challenge on who has the fastest hands in the middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight division. And I bet you that he would win. Uh, he's that, you know, for sure, without a doubt, in the heavyweight division, he's got the fastest hands. Probably in light heavyweight and middleweight division too. I know he doesn't fight in those divisions, but my point is, man, I'm going again. I'm, you know, every day I'm training and sparring uh, with a guy who. You know he can do everything Jocko does and uh you know it's, it's faster than than Jocko is so you know I think yeah, the hardest thing to replicate is speed and you know I've, I've been seeing it for the last five months now uh getting ready for this fight so um yeah you know I don't think that uh, May 16 will hold any surprises for me
1: has he has he asked you about being a headliner in a UFC fight before like you've been there before where... He hasn't. This will be the first time he's headlined an event. Have you talked to him about, you know, the differences of what it feels like to be in a main event as opposed to being on a main card or an undercard?
2: I mean, man, obviously, you know, the main difference is the, you know, the two extra rounds. But, you know, back they were supposed to headline in December. And I remember having a conversation with him like, man, you you know, you get a little main event bonus. You know, you get a little extra bread for being the main event. And, you know, that was probably the more exciting thing to him than than anything else I had to say. So I think at the end of the day, it's, it's it's money that makes the world go around and, you know, gets guys, you know, ready to get in there and go fight. So, you know, you can go collect a few checks, you know, if you're the main event. Main event bonus, you know, I would imagine uh, him getting a knockout bonus or a performance bonus. So, you know, he, he, he should be sitting pretty after this fight.
1: Much like that show back in the day on the regional circuit, you're going to be setting the table for Walt. How do you set this all up for him in Jacksonville on May 16th?
2: Man, I go out there and get a knockout, you know. Uh, You know, give him something to chase, a little motivation. And I feel like, you know, you go out there and sleep somebody, you're definitely running for that performance bonus. And, you know, that's also something that we fight for. uh, Because that bonus, when it hits your account, man, I'm telling you, there's not much better feeling in the world to open your... (laughs) Open your account on a on a Monday, eight weeks after you fought. You probably already forgot, and then boom, an extra 50 grand in there. You know, it's uh, you know I'm smiling right now. I've had a (laughs) deal. I want another one, so you know I got bills to pay and, and kids to feed. So you know I'm going out there to put in work.
1: Is it going to be a little weird for you fighting in an empty arena? I mean, you're so used to fighting in front of big crowds. I mean, even at the University of Alabama, like massive, massive crowds, and to the UFC and through the regional scene, you probably still fought in front of sold out venues. Is right. it going to be a little strange fighting in an empty arena?
2: I don't think so. You know, um, you know, I, I you know, I, I got to fight in the same under the same conditions that that Kristoff uh, has to. So I can't let it affect me more than it affects him. So, you know. Um, you know, my philosophy has always been like, you know, UFC or Madison Square Garden to an empty parking lot. It doesn't matter. Put whatever's on the contract. I'll be there and I'll fight at whatever venue under whatever circumstances. So, you know, it really doesn't even matter to me if you know people are in attendance. You know, I think it, I think it actually kind of helps uh, the UFC a little bit and fighters. Um, because everybody if you want to watch sports you have to watch UFC and you have to watch it on TV so you know everybody's gonna be watching so you know you go out there and you sleep somebody you go out there and put on a hell of a, a hell of a, a hell of a performance and uh you know get all the recognition and everything that comes with it so you know empty it's it it may be empty inside but man there's gonna be millions of people watching so um, it's all good either way
1: it's a great way of looking at it, and you know, how do you feel about how the UFC is handling all this with all the the testing and everything? I know you're going to be tested before you even get to the hotel, and then tests every day. They're setting you guys up in separate locker rooms with all the amenities that you need to to make weight and get ready for the fight. How do you how do you like this from a perspective heading into this one?
2: Uh, like I said, man, I'm pretty sure I already had it, so you know, it's whatever. You know, like I said, everything that I have to do, you know, Christoph's got to do as well, so. You know, I think it's going to come down to who handles, you know, the the intangible things, uh, you know, a little bit better. And, uh, man, you know, I just really don't care, you know, about, you know, I, I know they're going to have to stick the thing up my nose. That's going to suck, especially because, you know, this right one, I don't know if you can see, but it's crooked. It doesn't even work. My right, my left nostril, excuse me, it doesn't even work. So, you know, I'm down to one nostril already. So I don't know how many times they're going to be able to test me.
1: I know you're you're focused on May 16th, but you have been one of the more active fighters on the roster and in that division. So, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to handle things moving forward. But with the UFC looking to fill up their schedule, if all goes well next Saturday, would you want to try and turn around quickly and get right back in there? Or are you just going to sort of take things day by day.
2: Um, J- July would probably be more preferable because, you know, the my wife and kids and I are going on vacation to Brazil. Uh, I think I'm the 28th, the 28th through the 11th. So, man, if you think I'm doing any like physical activity after a fight, uh, especially on vacation, I may go roll. I may I may go do some jits and stuff, but man, I'm not gonna be out there running miles and doing hill sprints and lifting weights and stuff. You know, so you can cancel that. You know, I'm gonna enjoy the, the vacation with the family. It'll be my my oldest son's first time in Brazil. So, man, I don't I don't want. Anything else on my mind, but you know, showing them a good time and you know, eating lots of acai and feijawada and all that other good stuff that they got
1: down there. And if you get that bonus, you can show them an even better time in Brazil, oh, right? Man, I get the bonus. Well, the
2: bonus doesn't get here for like eight more for eight weeks after the fight, so you know, I won't have that to rely on. But uh that fight check comes in on Monday, so uh, I'll be good to go.
1: I wanted to ask you about this because we found out earlier today, as we record that. The legendary head coach of the Miami Dolphins, the winningest head coach in NFL history, Don Shula, passed away at the age of 90. And as everyone knows by now, you played college football at the University of Alabama. And before Nick Saban took over, Don's son, Mike, was the head coach at Alabama and recruited you for the program. It's obviously, you know, a very tough day for Mike and the rest of the family. But I'm wondering if you had met Don Shula at any point and and how you reacted to the news from earlier today.
2: Matt, is is he really the, the winningest coach?
1: Yeah. Ooh. I lost.
2: I, I lost a bet to my. Oh no! I didn't know. I thought that he was just known for the for the undefeated season or whatnot. So I, I owe my my son some money now. Good thing i fighting, soon. Um, But yeah, yeah. I, I never met Don Shula, but man, everybody knows his resume. And uh, you know, Mike Mike Shula, his son is actually the guy who recruited me at Alabama. So um, unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet Don, but you know, I know the rest of the Shula family. And, uh, yeah, my condolences go out to them as well.
1: Yep, same with me. Um, but on a positive note, here we go. We're less than two weeks away from the return of your boy, Eric Anders, taking up Christoph Yako. Whether you're with this return or not, sports and fights are back this Saturday. They'll keep on going, including this event on May 16th. Eric, thank you for the time. All the best to you for the rest of training and in the fight itself on the 16th, man.
2: Man, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: Always great catching up with the former University of Alabama football standout, Eric Anders, ahead of his fight with Christoph Yatko next Saturday, May 16th, in Jacksonville, Florida. That story of him and his team getting snitched on at the gym was pretty wild, but best of luck to you, boy next Saturday night in Jacksonville. Now let's check in with the raging panda herself, Julia Avila. Not only has she been doing great things in the cage recently in her career, but she's doing even better things out of it in the fight against COVID-19. Let's get to that conversation right now with Julia Avila. All right, Mike Heck here for MMAfighting.com. We're being joined by one of the up and coming fighters in the UFC women's bantamweight division. She had a successful octagon debut over the summer and despite the UFC's attempts to get her back in there between injuries to her opponent and now a global pandemic, we haven't been able to see that sophomore appearance yet, but I wanted to check in with the raging panda, Julia Avila. Julia, how are you?
3: Hi, Mike. I'm doing great. I'm uh, so excited to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute, but we're going we're gonna to get into one incredible thing that you've been doing with this extra time in a couple of minutes. But from a general sense, how have you been enjoying the quarantine life in Oklahoma?
3: Absolutely nothing has changed for me except that I work from home now. Um, I've been blessed to still have a job. So I'm remote working. I still train an exorbitant amount of times throughout the day. Um, I have my home gym would put most, you know, big box gyms to shame. So <laughs> I'm, you know, still working out, still keeping healthy. i still training. I have a couple of very select, I'm co quarantining. So uh, there's a very, very few people that I um, still see. and. Some of them are my main training partners. So, you know, things really haven't changed for me.
1: You see, in some states, like people are starting to lose their minds a little bit. Like, let's open things up. Like, we're all going to be okay. And then others are like, no, better safe than sorry. Like, Massachusetts is really stepping up their game right now. Now, everyone has to wear masks in public places, like all the time. So, you know, how is Oklahoma in that sense? Is everyone just kind of dealing with everything and trying to be patient with it? Or is everyone just ready to break down the doors of their house and, and get outside and live normal again?
3: So the people that I, um, talk to on, you know, a semi-regular basis, uh, that most of the gym goers for the several gyms, um, they're still kind of a little hesitant to go out. Um, Many of them either have family members that are high risk. Um, I have a very close high, uh, family member that's high risk. And so we're all keeping careful. Um, a lot of people were wearing masks. I was handing them out left and right. Um, I had a couple left over at the post office when I was shipping. And I was like, here, do you guys have masks? Take them. <laughs> so I think Oklahoma, all in all, they're ready, but they're cautiously like dipping their toe in the water.
1: That makes sense and this has been an interesting last few months for you because the last time we spoke was right after the new year and the fight with Carol Rosa was already scheduled for April 18th in Portland before all the COVID-19 stuff started rearing its ugly head and we find out the event was postponed and then like maybe a week or two later we find out that you're still going to fight Carol but on May 2nd in a location somewhere on Earth, and then everything got postponed again. So as someone who really wants to get back in the cage and compete, how difficult has this all been for you as a professional fighter?
3: It's been crazy. And it was actually, so Portland was rescheduled from the original date in October. So
1: um, That's right. Yeah, because you're supposed to fight in Singapore too, right?
3: Yeah. So I was scheduled to fight Carol three times, Um, you know, contract signed and everything, and Never came to fruition. So honestly, I, I've said this from the get-go. Like, I'll fight anyone at any time. You know, I'm ready. Uh, I think within, you know, a reasonable um, camp, like a couple weeks, then I should be good to go.
1: So we're recording this on the night of May 1st. So tomorrow, as we speak, you're supposed to be fighting. Do you not even just look at dates on the calendar anymore?
3: No. I'm, I just, I mean... I don't really have an off season anyways. Um, I've told you this before, you know, I'm just constantly going. Um, The only issue for me is that with the amount of activity that I like to do, um, I consume a lot calorically. (laughs) So so I just need those couple of weeks to make sure that everything is good because I am a professional and I don't plan on missing weight any time ever. So um, I just, I'm always prepared.
1: We'll dive more into the fighting in a moment, but the main reason I wanted to have you on and you sort of mentioned it before is because especially in this space that we're in, it can be a very negative place. And you have been doing something very positive and incredible over the last month or so. So to sort of lay down the groundwork, a month seems like a year right now. But in March, people were fighting in the stores for toilet paper, supplies were low, and even like personal protection equipment, which is still so crucial right now. Those are really hard to come by, still is as a matter of fact. But you decided to be Part of the solution. Tell the folks what are you been, what have you been up to over the last month or so?
3: So over the last month, I have been making uh, face masks. Um, I have a sewing machine. I got it years ago. Um, I, I'm so I said this uh, to someone else. As much as I love to destroy in the ring, I really love to create. Um, I'm a very artsy person, and I like to just make things. So. Um, one day I was I saw on Facebook that a hospital had requested a face mask and asked for seamstresses. And I looked at the mask, I looked at the pattern and I said, I can I can do that. I have the material, I have the stuff. And so I went ahead and um I made a couple and it was pretty fast. And then I hit up grandma. I was like, Grandma, do you have these materials? And she said, Yeah. I'm like, all right, let's make face masks. And so she started making a couple and I blaze through them right I made 70 in one day she uh I go hey grandma do you have any more, more material and she goes yeah you already went through all, all that I said yeah you know people need these she's like well how many did you do I told her 70 she said just take all of it I don't even want to help anymore <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just uh cranking through them and um I saw that people on uh the neighborhood app, the neighborhood app. I saw that people were charging for them. I said, "No, no, 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 no." I will never charge for your safety because your safety is my safety, right? So, um the people that were charging, I hit them up. I, you know, direct message them and I said, "Hey, I'll give you some for free. Just drive by my house and, you know, pick them up off the porch. I have a gun. I'm not fearing for my safety." So, um <laughs> So I just started handing them out and, um, I posted on my Instagram, you know, if anyone needs any masks, um, I did fundraise for, for my Portland flight and I had the money and every penny has gone towards making masks. So, um, and for shipping, I've hit up several, um, military bases and made hundreds for them, um, all across the U S so coast to coast, border to border, um, my brother lives in Brooklyn with his husband. And so I had, you know, I sent them some. I have family in California. I have a lot of first responders that are family, family that are first responders. So um, I just started making them. And a lot of old high school friends, they're hitting me up. And I said, yeah, here, take them, take them. How many do you want? How many do you need? What's your address? And I'll get them out as soon as I can. So um, I work full time, train full time. and You know, whenever I get five minutes here or there, I make
1: face masks. How many do you think you've made? I mean, it's probably hard to like count each and every one that you've made by like ballparking. How many do you think you've made so far? Over a thousand. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's it's, it's tough because, you know, with, with everything you do with masks, like take my wife, for example, she manages a very busy periodontal office in Massachusetts. And, you know, they're deemed essential, but only in emergency situations only. But you know, members of the state dental board wanted all of these businesses to donate all of their masks to hospitals and other essential offices. And that's great. And we all understand why, but you know, what if emergencies came in and there's no masks and like, what if all the restrictions got suddenly lifted, there's no masks, So now you're like, you can't see any patients, you can't even open up. So things have been pretty hairy throughout all of this, but luckily people like yourself Have gotten very creative you like to create these things and something you know especially with the mass like not a lot of us thought about before and it's something we really took for granted before all this happened right
3: yeah and it's one of those um crafts that are really uh they're getting lost um like home ec you know a lot of people don't know how to cook anymore a lot of people don't know how to change their oil a lot of people don't know how to sew um i really think it's something that Uh, I actually a couple of my fans, they're like, hey, you uh, motivated me to go buy. uh," So they Amazoned a sewing machine. They taught themselves and they're now making face masks. So, um, you know, if I can spark just a little change in a couple people, you know, to try something new or to help out, then I've done my job.
1: And, and speaking of the fans, you've gotten a lot of support with all this, just with people sending you different supplies to assist you with this. Like, And these masks, they're going anywhere and everywhere. Like you said, coast to coast, if they're needed, you're finding a way to get to them. What has that meant to you to have everybody just kind of chip in and help you out here?
3: Oh, it's been amazing. Um, I, I have so many loyal and just, good fans you know they're not following me because they think I'm a pretty face they don't follow me because you know I'm a good fighter they well hopefully they think I am but (laughs) they they follow me because they they like me as a person and you know that speaks to them that speaks to the quality of of them more than it does about me um and they've been really really coming through and supporting and helping out um if anything, just to say thank you, like that means the world to me. I manage all of my social media platforms. And so I get to read all of all of the comments, all of the positive and negative. And it's just been overwhelmingly positive just for people to see that there's hope.
1: Well said. Hey, what's the furthest that you've gotten a photo that one of your masses appeared in, like, is there is there one photo you've gotten? you'd be like, oh my god, I can't believe it's gotten this far. Canada. Canada. So you're <laughs> yes. leaving the country now too.
3: Yeah. Coast to coast, border to border, and two in Canada.
1: Wow. Is it kind of surreal once, once you saw the Canada pictures? You're just like, whoa, this is just wild right now.
3: I'm just glad that I'm making a difference.
1: You see, you know, we're seeing what Connor is doing in Ireland and the news that it's made, and you're getting a lot of support from your fans with this. And, you know, it's just incredible what both of you guys are doing. And I know you're not looking for a pat on the back. It's just something that you've been compelled to do, and you're inspiring other people to do that. And I'm going to give you a pat on the back anyways. But, you know, what is this all meant for you? Because, you know, you're not looking for a lot of credit here, but you're making a difference. And that still has to feel good, even though you're not looking for that kind of credit. You know what I mean?
3: Right. I you know, I I pursued fighting just because I, I felt like it was the platform that I knew I could reach the most amount of people. And this was just another opportunity for me to do that. And I think, I think the hardest, um, the, what would hurt me the most is to not be remembered. And if, when I die, I just want to be remembered. And I think Uh, positively and so if I like I said if I make that one difference for one person then it's all been worth it
1: so you're working full time making mass you're still training you're still lifting weights you're still busting out squats you're getting ready in case that call does come again from the UFC brass you're not really asking for it you're just staying ready and once that call comes you're going to be ready to go as long as the the time frame is appropriate is that accurate yes sir Earlier today. On this Friday, May 1st, we saw Dana White talk to ESPN, and we saw a good chunk of the May 13th and the May 16th events get revealed. And, you know, just kind of looking at the number of fights, there's likely to be more added on to both of those cards. And from everything I hear, May 23rd is out there, June 6th is out there. Have you been approached at all with anything at this point?
3: At this point, unfortunately, no. But I know a lot of other people are very hungry to get back in the cage, and a lot of other fighters need it. Uh, again, I've been blessed to have uh, my primary career. And so it's not a a need for me to get back in that cage. It's just a want. Um, Sooner rather than later, uh, my, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I definitely want to make, want to make my claim in the Bantam division. um, And I can't do that, you know, being at home. So hopefully I get something in the near future, um, June maybe, but, you know, Anyone's willing to step up. I'm right
1: here. I know you've mentioned before, you're you're in any, anywhere, anytime, like whoever it is, like I'm ready to fight. But with Carol out of the picture and a lot of the international fighters pretty much out of the picture right now, and it's still hard to even call anybody out at this point or hard to predict the future, but some opportunities could open up for you here, because if you look at some different ranking systems, you're in the top 15 and in some of the the sites, different rankings at 135 right now. So you could have an opportunity to step up a couple of slots. Have, do you even look at the rankings right now? Is there anyone that might stick out that that could make sense to you or you just not really don't even care at this point?
3: I mean, I, I, I really don't even care. I'm you know, I kind of I really look up to. um Angela kill Angela overkill <laughs> and I kind of want to be like her and just be like hey Dana give me a fight I'll be there um but you know I want to fight someone that's uh responsible you know I don't think jumping into the top five would be very responsible for me to do um I need a gain that uh, that ring especially in the UFC because it's it's completely different but I need to gain that ring experience. And so, um, I mean, top 15, uh, gosh, anyone really, I think uh, I have, I have to believe that I can be all of them. So I do.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully we can see you back in there soon, but you, it, especially because it's funny, people ask me all the time, like, when's Julia, Julia Avila going to fight again? And I'm like, I don't know right now. Like nobody really knows anything, but, um, I do want to bring this up because the last time we spoke, uh, it's something that I I remember through a lot of these interviews. You were very, you, you were very emotional when you spoke about your husband being deployed for the first time since since you guys have been together, and it was understandably a very difficult time for you. But now he's back, and you get to spend all the time in the world with him because everyone's under quarantine right now. So how great has it been to have him back home?
3: It's been so amazing. Um, he actually came back. Or the night that he came back, that very next day they closed the borders to where he was at, and so the people, the U.S. citizens that were there, are like there for a couple of months, I think. So um, it's it was pretty scary, and I'm so so blessed that my my soldier is back. Um, it's been really nice. Uh, he 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 kind of reins me in. Um, I if he weren't around, I would overtrain. Uh, because that's just what I do. (laughs) And um, so he kind of like, even today, he said, um, I did a conditioning round um, while he was sleeping. And he's like, I'm going to have to put a padlock on all the gear and stuff to keep you from doing things. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's really nice. I'm super blessed to have him around and super, super blessed to have just his knowledge and his strength around me.
1: Can he sew? Is he helping you make make mass at all or
3: no he uh, <laughs> he he watches from afar. He keeps my my coffee filled and my wine glass filled. so
1: <laughs> see he's a, he's essential right now, oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. Julia, always, always a pleasure to have you on, especially on a Friday night. Uh, first time you've joined me on the new platform here, and it's certainly not going to be the last. I think what you're doing is amazing. I think a lot of people agree with me on that. So keep it up. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep staying positive because Lord knows we all need that right now. So I hope you get a fight book soon and that it actually happens this time. All the best to you, the husband, the dogs, everybody else. Thank you, Julia. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Mike. Hey, stay clean, but fight filthy.
1: Kudos to Julia obula really incredible stuff that she's doing to help people out during this global pandemic, this unprecedented time. And I give her a lot of credit for all that she's done and even to the people who are helping her. And I know Julia is not doing it for the credit, but I'm going to give it to her anyways. I think it's just amazing. But uh, a lot of fans are obviously excited to see her back competing and she's been ready to do so since September, October. It just hasn't worked out for a number of reasons that are out of her control due to injuries and obviously a global pandemic, which no one could could have really prepared for. One of the fighters I've been wanting to chat with for a long time now is Ryan Hall, the season 22 champion of the Ultimate Fighter. He's unbeaten in the UFC. He had that great win against Darren Elkins that opened up a lot of people's eyes. He's starting to rise up the ranks, but as he's spoken about in the past, he's been having a hard time getting a fight that he deems worthy based on his rankings and based on his name. I understand where he's coming from. And he finally gets one in Ricardo Lamas and, well, a pandemic strike. So let's get to my conversation with the wizard Ryan Hall and see what he's been up to these days right now. All right. So for a little backstory, if there is one person people have wanted me to chat with over the last year or so, it would be my guest joining me right now. Not only that, but amongst the staff here at MMA Fighting, I think this confirmation may have gotten more of a pop than if I booked Conor McGregor. How about that? Happy to be joined by the wizard himself, Ryan Hall. Ryan, thank you for doing this. How are you, man?
4: Not too bad. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I I really appreciate it. Um, And now I can't wait to disappoint everyone.
1: (laughs) That's not even possible. But uh, first things first, how has quarantine life been treating you during this pandemic and this crazy time in the world?
4: Man, it's, uh, you know, things are slow, I think, probably for for everyone, I would say. You know, like the the D.C. area is kind of interesting because life in a lot of ways hasn't changed markedly. It's just slowed down significantly. You know, I mean, obviously the gym is closed. Training is not non-existent in any real sort of sense um you know we're, we're doing what we can to, to stay afloat i've got a series of full-time employees and people that i take care of obviously you know my my wife and the little boy spending time with everybody um but uh it's it's just been kind of an interesting time i wish uh yeah i don't know it would be nice it'd be nice to be able to do other stuff but in the grand scheme of problems um you know minor minor mine are pretty small how old is your little boy uh, nine, nineteen months, I think. He runs around and and yells at everybody now, and and throws stuff, and uh, he's he's a pretty entertaining little guy.
1: There you go. So you're home with him all the time. So it must be nice, at least to uh, to get some extra time with him. Probably more so than you would if you were training for a fight, maybe.
4: Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, I was supposed to fight, I guess, two days ago um, in Oklahoma City with uh, Ricardo Lamas, but obviously that that didn't happen. Um, you know, as uh, as a result of all that's been going on but uh it is it has definitely been a series of silver linings you know i don't pay any attention to the news because it's mostly just you know nonsense the same stuff every day and you know people change their opinions on things so it's nice to just kind of disconnect as much as possible and all i've done is work on finishing out this uh this half guard instructional course that we've got going on on a on a website we were fortunate to kind of you know, be able to get the bulk of it done prior to the, the big portion of the virus, or the uh, out. you know, I guess the fallout from the virus hitting, but I've uh, been able to kind of put the finishing touches on that, try to get it out this week, and spend a lot of time with family, and, you know, of course, looking forward to getting back to normal, but uh, just doing what we can to do to, to the best you can with what you have available.
1: When you say modern half guard in regards to the video, like, what types of things are you going to focus on with that? Like, let's just say there was someone who maybe... <laughs> trained jiu-jitsu 10 years ago. They took some time off, but they're coming back because Ryan Hall's putting out this video about the modern half guard. What types of things will they learn that they may not have known 10 years ago?
4: Well, I, I can't speak to, I guess, what, what others might not know, but I can say that, uh, you know, my understanding of, I've been, I guess, black belt in jiu-jitsu for, for 10 years now and um, been competing at at a, at, a, at a pretty good level for for longer than that. And, uh, you know, going to the MMA world is something that really has taught me, you know, so much about martial arts and a lot about myself and a lot about jujitsu itself and how i believe that it functions and and a lot of the understandings and the leaps that i've been able to make have actually come not only from fighting and training mma but training in the other arts whether it's you know boxing wrestling judo taekwondo greco-roman things like that where it, it, it gives you another it's almost like looking at the same picture but putting on a bunch of different lenses and as a result you see different things and uh you know and even almost you think about language like the way that people talk, you know, let's say the way that you or I might explain something in English. And then the just the order of description is different in some languages and other languages. There's there's maybe a almost like metaphor instead of literalism in certain areas. And I guess what I'd say is we're all looking at or describing the same thing, but we see it differently and we see it through new eyes. And I think that that's really helped me to uh, increase my understanding as a whole of, of what I believe I'm trying to get done and what I believe I'm trying to do as a jiu-jitsu practitioner and as a mixed martial arts fighter. And, uh, you know, I hope to be able to impart a lot of that in the course. And I can just say that, uh, you know, we've tried to do our best to be as comprehensive as reasonably possible. And rather than teaching you about my path, I try to teach you about what I understand as as the path, I guess I would say, you know, the the learning process for how to develop your own positioning and your own understanding. And I try to give you the thought processes that I've been able to use to, to get some understanding. But rather than just say, hey, here are my five favorite moves, and if your body type is just like mine and you have the specific surrounding skills, you may be able to do it. I'm like, hey, well, this is kind of how I got to the bottom of what I'm up to now. And it may change going forward, but uh, what do you think you should do and kind of put the ball in the, uh, in the learner's court?
1: Are you doing all the work yourself, like you editing and putting it all together yourself, or do you have a team around you doing that?
4: Uh, I'm fortunate that I'm not, because, and I guess everyone is fortunate that I'm not, because whether you like or don't like what we're doing, it would be way worse if I edited it. <laughs> it would be, it would be uh, a dumpster fire. So basically, you know, I'm I'm on the instructional side and the organization side and the and the I guess the learning methodology side. But, w- but we have people that are doing the editing and doing the filming, and and I, I think they do a fantastic job, and I feel uh, lucky to be working with them.
1: Well, that's good that you're able to stay busy with everything going on in the world. Your fighting career, like we sort of alluded to, you've been trying to keep this momentum going. You had the the two-year layoff heading into the BJ Penn fight. You finished that fight in the first round. You come back a little under eight months later, had that fantastic win over Darren Elkins, and you were starting to get a little more active in there, and then a pandemic strike. So, I mean, were you starting to feel like, all right, man, the train's finally starting to leave the station, and now we have to park it again?
4: Yeah, I think it's a little bit like that. And I'll be honest, I personally blame, uh, personally blame Khabib Namagamadov and Tony Ferguson, and by extension, (laughs) Dana White for this. And, uh, you know, because obviously it's fallen through five times and it's a fight that you, I and everyone else on planet Earth that cares about fighting would love to see between, you know, arguably the very two best lightweights on planet Earth and certainly the two most consistently successful. But, uh, you know, I mean, there was there was the Tony was about to fight and then you're like, oh, man, I'm just over here to talk to my buddy and oh, I blew my knee out walking around you are like what are the odds of that? I feel terrible for Tony. And then also you feel for her and then we reschedule it. And then the universe strikes you with the pandemic. If we try to schedule another one of these things, an actual asteroid is gonna hit the planet. Just there's <laughs> no question in my mind that uh, that that this this may be the source of, of all of that. And I think I, I don't think I'm important enough to have any sort of influence on global or uh, cosmic events, but they may be and I think I just might be the unfortunate, you know, recipient of the downside of that. So you know it was a shame wanted to one to compete with Lamas, wanted to compete again soon. It's been tough to really try to get opponents in there. have been turned down or effectively turned down by a lot of different people. And there's a couple guys you know, that have been holding up slots in the featherweight rankings that are, you know obviously legendary characters in their own right, Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, but seemingly have no interest in competing at Featherweight, but they keep everyone kind of in the back end of the the top fifteen a little further back, which makes it a bigger ask to say, hey, how are four and five doing? What about six and seven? What are those guys up to? If if, if the intervening people aren't uh, aren't available, so it, it's just it is what it is. Situation. I'm um, doing my best to improve and doing my best to learn. It has been frustrating to be out of touch. You know, at least physical touch with uh, with my coaches. Obviously, Canada is closed right now, both in terms of travel and also in terms of. Gym operation, so getting up to see Firas um, isn't an option. You know, I go to see Kenny, all the people that I usually bring back and forth. That's not an option. So, a little bit on my own at the minute, and uh, you know, we're just doing the best that we can at at, with what we can, and and hope to be better for the next fight.
1: I want to I want to go back to the to the BJ fight because we we hear stories all the time. These sort of idols become rivals types of fights or a fighter watches a certain competitor over the years they get into the UFC and all of a sudden you're standing across the octagon from someone that you've looked up to and watched for so long what was that night like for you standing across from a from a guy like BJ Penn and then beating him
4: that was that was surreal man I really I really you know really have always looked up to BJ and he was one of my heroes as an MMA fighter you know he was he was one of the guys carrying the flag for for jiu-jitsu but he was also absolutely you know more than just a grappler more than just a jiu-jitsu guy he was the first american to win the world championships the black belt was a phenomenal achievement was <clears throat> so successful he almost ran himself out of competition um you know fought at heavyweight fought Lyoto Machida at heavyweight like that's that's insane to me that's so cool That that's amazing that's he's like a, almost like Kazushi sakuraba in that in that regard fighting anyone and everyone um you know he has all of the qualities that that you'd want and i guess uh <clears throat> it's obviously I, I would have loved if I could have magic, magically gone back in time and gotten to compete with 2009 BJ, maybe a little bit younger. but um, you know even at the time it was it was still a, a fantastic challenge. He's a great grappler the second that we tied up on the fence. you can always feel as someone with a lot of experience. When you touch someone and they start to move, you go, whoa this guy is, this guy's really good. It's not just that they're strong. It's not just that they're fast. It's wow, you can feel the subtle adjustment that they are making as you're going. And uh, it, it was pretty cool to to be able to to feel that. And I will say this. When he almost popped me in the head, I was like, oh crap, this is real. And, uh, you know, BJ may be your hero, but that won't stop him from, uh, from putting your teeth in the third row. So it was, uh, I was glad to be able to get out of there without, without too many bumps and bruises and to be able to, to pick up a win over, over someone that I, that I really respect and, and uh, and looked up to as much as him, uh, was, it was a really neat experience. And also it was, uh, you know, managed to get Diego Sanchez way back in the day in grappling Graham Maynard so far, um, you know, and now BJ Penn, it would be, uh, It'd be nice to have the opportunity to try to compete against Jose Aldo at some point, another guy to look up to and respect and see if I can uh if I can pick up that last uh the last loss and avenge uh, that avenge my old coach, Kenny.
1: Are you surprised he dropped a thirty five? I mean he looked he actually looked pretty good. I mean I think that was the talk of the entire Mariah's fight. Like it wasn't the fight itself, it was whether or not Jose could make the weight. He made it. And a lot of people thought that he won that fight. What, what did you think of him dropping a 35?
4: Yeah, I think I think he hit the nail on the head, man. I, I think when you said it's like there was so much talk about, you know, how is Jose going to look, what's going on? Because I remember he was a decent-sized guy, a featherweight. He's not a little guy. And, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously uh, in the age of USADA, things are a little bit different sometimes. not trying to point any fingers, but just, you know, that is the reality sometimes. And uh, he made it down there. He obviously looked okay. He looked like death at the weigh-ins. And then, man, he performed great. And, uh, you know, very arguably won that fight. I remember thinking that that Marlon won it at the time, you know. But at the same time, uh, you know, there are plenty of fights that I watch as a fan. And and I you kind of, you're kind of caught up in it in the expectations of what you think is meant to happen or, or your feelings in the fight. And then you go back and you watch it a couple times again and you go, oh, that was what I thought it was or I, I feel differently now. So, you know, he very arguably won that fight. A lot of people feel that way. So um, I guess I would say he performed really, really well. I think it was a little bit much that he was given the title shot you know even though there's no question that Jose Aldo has it in him to beat anyone at 135 anyone at 145 you know you'd, you'd like to see a meritocracy not just a can you get it done ocra and uh, I guess um, that was an interesting thing and but now to have him out of that fight as a result of the current situation I, you know you feel for Jose because obviously you know he was lined up for that but I wonder will he stay at 35 will he come back to 45? Um, you know, I guess there's just a lot of things in flux, but that was a great performance. That was a heck of a fight by him, a heck of a fight by Marias. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just created such a, a tough situation all around because all the top guys at 135 are so competitive with one another. Same thing at 45 they they can all beat each other on a given night. And, uh, you know, it does make it for a situation where whoever you give the title shot to, there's always going to be a little bit of sour grape somewhere because there's, there's no clean cut. You know, this is the only guy that can get it done at this point.
1: Yeah, because a lot of people seem to be opposed with Dominic Cruz getting the title shot. But for me, it was like, who else was there? I mean, Jan, like, Jan's looked great, but I I don't think he's had that, like, signature top three, top five win yet. Sterling's hurt. And then Sanhagen, again, he's a surging guy. He's the only one that would make sense. But if you're looking at it from a business perspective, you know, what's going to look better on a fight poster? What's going to sell more? Sanhagen. You know, versus Cerruto or Cruz versus Ahudo. it's going to be Cruz every single time, right?
4: I think you make a good point, man. I mean, you know, I think, it, but at the same time, I can say that I feel for guys like Jan and uh, and Corey, who's a good buddy of mine. You know, it's funny you mentioned. We were. Uh, I remember when um, Corey was actually at my house training when we were when the Korean Zombie Brian Ortega fight fell through, and I went and I immediately called and said, Hey, guys, if you need someone to fly to Korea last second, I'm I'm your dude. Um, or if you know if you if you have four of the people that say no, can you just give me a call. And uh, because he was actually scheduled to fight Frankie Edgar at the time, obviously, you know, Frankie going down to 135, tough fight, you know, in his first one against uh, against a great fighter like Corey. And I remember coming downstairs. I wake up at like noon that day and I walk downstairs and Corey's like looking, sitting on the couch with this, like, what the hell's going on? Looking, you know, look on his face. I'm like, you're right there, buddy. And he's like, yep, they gave the fight to Frankie. I'm like, well, huh. So they pulled Frankie out of his fight, put him in there with, with Zombie. I was hoping to fight Zombie. It was just an interesting thing how it all kind of played out. And then since that time, Corey hasn't had the opportunity to fight. So it, it is tough for guys like Corey, guys like Peter Yan. Um, and I honestly feel similarly myself. There's plenty of people that I know for a fact that I can beat in the top, you name it, anyone, any one of them. And I'm not saying that they couldn't beat me too. Fight's a fight but a lot of times i go man if i were to say hey can i fight brian ortega or can i fight Jose Aldo? people say well you don't have a win that justifies that i'm like well that's fair for you to say but the reason i don't have the opportunity, maybe one of the reasons i don't have a win like that or perhaps a performance that may justify that is because other people won't step up and i don't get the opportunity so you look at dominant Cruz and you say is there anybody else on that dominant Cruz level in the guys that you mentioned and like you said who's going to look like that's the fight on the fight card that I want. And as Dominic Cruz is deserving historically as anybody that we can imagine of this fight, dang right, no question. Dominic is a champion of an athlete, champion person has had to deal with like an unbelievable string of bad luck that you know for him to come back through that is is staggering. It's an unbelievable achievement in addition to everything else that he's actually physically accomplished in the ring. But uh, you also so I can absolutely see, you know, that fight and, and I look forward to watching it. I'm excited to see Dom back in there. I'm excited to see that fight. But at the same time, you go, man, uh, you know, maybe Peter and Corey would have had the opportunity. Maybe they would be on that level, at least in our mind, um, and then as a result, potentially comparably deserving, at least at the minute, um, if they'd had more opportunity. So I guess it, it's tough. But like you said, sports fighting is sports entertainment, and uh, you know how things look on on a poster, and and the the financial side of things is. As much of or more of a rea- more of a reality than than sometimes the competitive aspect. So, if I were the one making the decisions and I was trying to you know put some put some dollars in the bank and also you know bring back one of my my great champions, I would put Cruz in
1: there too. Yeah, and and that was meant to be no disrespect to anybody because no, no, all no. of them are deserving. And I and I think Corey is gonna be a future world champion at some point. He's gonna have that title around his waist at some point. But uh, did they give you a reason why you didn't get given you weren't given the Korean Zombie fight, or did you find out you know what had happened once Corey had told you?
4: No, I, I guess you you find out. All I did was just say I'd like to throw my hat in the uh, my name in the hat, and you know if you guys need a guy because you know ordinarily I, I would only fight with a real fight camp, but then every now and then there comes an opportunity to make an asymmetric gain or an asymmetric gamble where you're like, Hey, I'll be going to the other side of the world, which is a huge disadvantage. Like that's a pain in the butt, particularly last second. I'll be doing it on, you know, limit, almost no fight camp. I'll be doing it on, you know, having to cut the weight last second, but you're like, Hey, this is a unique opportunity to compete against someone you respect someone at a super high level in Korean zombie, and even to main event. And you go, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. But, uh, you know, I, So I, I just said, hey, I'm, I'm in if you guys need a guy. And, uh, you know, of course, I guess they've gone a different direction by that point or they have elected to go a different direction. And I'm obviously not privy to the, uh, to the discussions as to who or why for the UFC. Um, and, and, you know, they make the decision that they feel is right and they've brought the company to this point and they know what they're doing. But I still remember hearing, oh, man, well, Frankie's going to fight Zombie and then he's going to fight Corey Sanhagen. And I was like, if there's one thing I know is not going to happen, it's that. And I'm like, because you don't fight a guy that's nicknamed Zombie, generally speaking, and that's not an ironic nickname, man. And like, and uh, and walk out of that fight with no scratches. And and if you do, that was it's an act of God. And and Frankie's obviously an amazing fighter, but you know, sometimes the the style that he fights, he he's in it. You know what I mean? Like he's he's he doesn't fight like Stephen Thompson, doesn't fight like Wonder Boy. And it's not a knock. I'm as big a Frankie fan as anybody else, but I remember thinking at the time that that was probably an unrealistic thing for people to expect. You know, to have two back-to-back fights against two people that, that have a reputation for chewing guys up, win, lose, or draw, and, uh, and hope that, that you get back in there. But uh, you never know what's going to happen, man. But I, but I guess I just remember thinking at the time that was a little bizarre.
1: Your last fight was against Darren Elkins, and that fight was crazy because you got to show some different sides of you that a lot of people hadn't seen before. You knocked him down several times in that fight. He's a very durable guy, as you obviously saw in those 15 minutes. That's but you know, the second round was crazy. You know, we were seeing spinning stuff, and you know, they were landing. You were knocking him down like it. had opened up a lot of eyes. Like. Was that one of the more important fights of your career? Because, you know, although the striking game may have always been a big part of your repertoire maybe nobody saw it before, everyone actually got to see it this time and everyone reacted to it in such a positive manner.
4: Um, Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. It was really neat to get to compete against Darren. I I really, really respect Darren a lot. He's a super tough guy. Again, the damage is not an ironic nickname. (laughs) This is a man who doesn't play around. And then also when you get it tattooed on your chest, you are are committed, man. And uh, I guess... um, that was really cool because I remember the first time spinning and and whacking him with the uh, with the spinning kick and going like all right and then he just rises up you're like sweet baby Jesus how is this man alive and then he just completely carries on and uh, you know drops him with a left hand dropped him with another left hand I remember being partway through the third round and you're like I don't know if this guy's going away <laughs> and uh, you know it's just uh, that that was neat I was really happy to be able to to show the the things that I've been working on because you know it's funny I feel like I haven't I've only gotten. F- four fights in the ufc and then i guess the the other three on ultimate fighter and um so in, in the last period of years so i guess that would be seven fights since 2015 which is not a lot but uh you know i've been training mixed martial arts for for a long time and i've been taking this seriously for a long time and and when i'm off i don't i'm not fiddling around i am waiting for a fight i am waiting for really good opponents and i'm preparing to fight the, the best guys. And I guess the way that I, the, the career path that I've taken to this point is like, okay, I'll fight once a year if that's what you want me to do. But I want a big step up each time. I want a serious guy that I can't fiddle around with. If I'm not the guy, if I'm not significantly better in my, in this next fight than I was against Aaron Elkins, I don't expect to do well because I'm I'm, I'm asking for, you know, the, the best people available. And then if I manage to get past that guy, then I'll have to pull it off again. But I like to think that I've shown some some significant improvement in each fight. And, you know, I mean, coming into the BJ fight, I was off for two years. That wasn't, and I went up a weight class to to face him. I didn't get to have him, I didn't get to fight him at 45, which would have been much more comfortable for me. Um, You know, I guess uh, against, against Artem Lobov, I was, you know, I had a a, a serious staph infection. I was still on antibiotics. I was really sick and I had a torn ligament in my foot and did the fight anyway. Of course, it would never, would never, you know, back out, but was able to overcome that. So I feel like the, the time off is sometimes a blessing and the opportunity to improve, but it's also a curse in that, you don't really get to get into a rhythm and as you mentioned you're like okay a fight here then eight months later like, okay and then four months later okay you kind of get into the feel of things and maybe I don't ever really envision fighting as often as like a Neil Magny or Donald Cerrone who fight twice the weekend if they if they have the opportunity but uh it will be nice to get into sometimes three a year but at this point into this age in my career I don't know if that's if that's in the cards. so I will continue to just do my best to improve and then you you know you just say give me the best that you have available when one of these guys is willing to sign up and it was neat that that Darren was willing to do that because there was no hesitation i remember hearing from from Sean Shelby the matchmaker that uh, you know we asked Darren and he said yeah no no hesitation i'm like that's my kind of guy so that i really look i really respect that
1: we're talking before we hit record here and uh, I was telling you about how this interview came to be and how people were reaching out to me, saying, like, you got to interview Ryan Hall, and you were a little thrown back by that. But, you know, have you noticed the way that fans react to you now as opposed to maybe three or four years ago? Because, like, for a while, you were the the jujitsu guy at The Ultimate Fighter. People looked at you a certain way. And now, like, at least from what I see, you've gotten this, like, cult-like following like you and tony ferguson are like the chuck norris's of mma like they want to see ryan hall fight francis and ganu now and like all of these killers because i do not want to see that happen <laughs> <laughs> no. they put I, you on this- pointed stick <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they put you on this like this this pedestal like it, it's have you noticed a change in that aspect at all I'll be honest.
4: I, I, maybe I don't pay too much attention online. If if I'm honest, I don't go on Twitter. I don't really, you know, like there was a period. I remember right when the, when the coronavirus thing happened, I started going on Twitter for information a little bit more often Then I remember going to myself, so looking at myself one day. I, Cause I actually said that out loud. Oh, I'm going to Twitter for information. And I'm like, what am I high? Like I'm just out <laughs> of my damn mind. And then, then I've deleted it off my phone again. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I would just say that, um, you know, Tony Ferguson deserves all of the things that, that people say about him as a tough fighter. I mean, the win streak that he's put together, the guys that he's fought, you know, are, are phenomenal. I, I feel like I've done well each time and I've, and I've kind of put on like different types of unique performances. And I feel that each one of my fights to date has been dominant in its own way um and i really have been hit like that forget the fight sets and that thing is i don't know who what who got paid to invent that but uh but basically i think i've only been hit like seven times in my ufc career and in uh, so uh, and i've not fought bums i mean i fought Artum Lobov, who's much much and people make fun of Artum and there's all the jokes but he is a tough fighter and he is a good guy and he was particularly at that time he just knocked out three consecutive people two of them out cold on on ultimate fighter and uh you know it's he had a great deal more experience than I did of fighting up at 155 which I've often done I am 100 like I am 155 pounds walking around and that's not a lot of people joke like you know fighting is the only sport where a man under, undersells his weight but uh, but basically uh, you know I'm about 155 160 pounds walking around which means that uh, most of the people that I fight are 20 pounds naturally heavier than I am and and that and at 55, that's that's Artem and I are about the same size, but at 55, that's that's more so. And then I fought Gray Maynard, a great fighter, tough guy coming down, tons of experience, um, you know. And then BJ Penn, obviously, you know, he's a little bit older, but he has a great deal more experience than I do. He's a bigger man naturally, fighting at his weight class, and then fighting Darren Elkins, who was a top ten guy, you know, up until a couple fights prior to that. Super durable, super experienced, lots of great wins. Managed to put on a, a, a good performance against him and, and get out of there without you know someone nicknamed the damage making that a big factor um and uh you know so i guess it, it's different I'm, I'm definitely you know a different type of fighter than than tony ferguson and and maybe people like that and i think that sometimes people a lot of people undersell me and then i think some of the other guys maybe oversell it a little bit but i just want to try to do my best to to learn and to continue to grow and i just hope for the opportunity to fight the best people and you know, it's, I just would never mention myself in the same sentence as Tony Ferguson right now, given what he's accomplished in the UFC. I like to think I could do any number of different things, but the reality is that I haven't had the chance to do it yet. So I prefer to let, uh, let the skills do the talking.
1: As you mentioned, you were scheduled to fight Ricardo Lamas this past weekend in Oklahoma city. And obviously with everything going on, that fight didn't happen. And I know Lamas did an interview recently. He said that he still wants the fight. He hopes it gets rebooked, but have you, uh, have you heard anything in regards to this fight being rebooked? How are you handling, you know, your fight career with everything going on right now looking into well, maybe your next fight?
4: Yeah, I guess I remember I, I, I saw an email or not an email. I'm sorry, an interview that Ricardo did where he said, Oh, well, Brian wanted to fight. Nobody would fight him. I stepped up to fight him. And, uh, and then he backed out. I'm like, yeah, because anyone with a brain in their head realized a couple weeks ago that that fight on May 2nd was never going to happen. <laughs> so I guess, uh, what I what 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 I've been doing my approach to this entire thing has been family first and the people that depend on me first and my fighting career is very important to me it's incredibly important to me and it, and it, it honestly it hurts a little bit to have to to put it on the back burner and and see maybe you know I've watched a lot of a lot of good years of, of my career sit, you know go by the wayside because of various things and not being able to fight and that is it is frustrating at the same time I look at guys like Damian Maya who you know he was 38 when he fought Gunnar Nelson at the uh, you know um in 2015, the same weekend that I fought for the Ultimate Fighter finale, I mean, and Damien's amazing. He's 42 now. He could, he, if he retires from MMA, it won't be because he needs to. Um, It'll mm-hmm. be because he's just decided that that his time is done and he's going to go do other things. So it is nice to know that. I mean, I just turned 35. I don't have much mileage, and I can continue to fight, but. It is frustrating and it does hurt to to watch that go away no matter how it is. But I have to recognize first that I have a business and I have people that depend on me. You know, preparing for a fight takes a ton of focus, ton of time, and, and in most cases a great deal of, of financial commitment from me, which all of which when it comes to the UFC is on the front end. Which, you know, that that's irresponsible right now. I'm not rich, I'm not poor, but I'm not rich. And for me to put out, let's say, twenty, twenty five K at a time like this speculatively, let's I'd already put out ten thousand dollars to get ready for that fight. And then had it canceled, I'm not getting any of that money back. And now I don't regret it because I learned and I grew and I got the opportunity to train. But, you know, MMA is a very speculative venture. I mean, you put the money out on the front end, then you fight for half your purse in many cases. And then if you win, you get you get your full purse. But that is, that is deeply speculative, and I've continually bet on myself and managed to, uh, to have that, that pan out properly. But you know, I, I don't look back on any of my fights and say it was impossible to lose any of them. Every single fighter that I've fought to this point, because I've, I've only fought tough people and I've always asked for them – has absolutely had it in them to beat me, and every single person that I fight going forward will have it in them to beat me. And as a result, there are, there are no guarantees, and it's not a best of ten. So the better fighter doesn't win. The the person who fights better on the night wins, and that could work for me, and that could work against me. So I guess what I would say is, if this gets rebooked, great. I respect Ricardo. Ricardo's a great fighter. I don't care if he's not ranked. I was willing to fight out of the rankings if necessary, because I don't handpick my fights. I handpick my fights in the in in the sense that I am asking for only best the best people. I am not trying to dodge challenges. I'm not trying to dodge anyone who's difficult, and I'm not trying to dodge difficult style matchups. I think in many regards, Ricardo is a difficult style matchup, and and I like that. I I think that that's the sort of thing that makes you grow, but I guess if that fight gets rebooked, that would be great. If it doesn't, and they're able to find someone else comparably or increasingly challenging, hey, I'm in. I'm, I'm here to know that I fought when it mattered, and I stood across the cage from the people that were the best that I could at the time that I could for as long as I could, and then one day it'll be over. But uh, that that's all I can really say. And, um, you know, I, I guess we'll just look forward to getting back to regular training, getting back to a situation where everyone can put their best foot forward and the chips will fall where they will.
1: So if the UFC called you like in your management team tomorrow and said, hey, well, you know, we can rebook this fight for, you know, June 20th. Would that would you say no to that?
4: Yeah, I would say no to that because I've, my gym is still closed by law. You know I, I can't I'm not putting my I'm not putting my livelihood and not, and it's not just me if I were living by myself me 10 years ago I would do whatever though you know because it, it would just be me but now I have myself my wife my son five other full-time employees you know that that depend on me I'm not going to put selfishly put their their well-being at risk just because I want to compete and if, and I'm willing to to stand behind that even if it means the end of my career which I don't say that lightly. I say that very seriously because this, I've worked my entire adult life to get to the point where I have the opportunity to face a Ricardo Lamas, to face a Jose Aldo. You know, um, these are the people that I've watched on TV that I wanted to, that I wanted, I want to be like, and I wanted to compete against. But at the same time, it, it would be inappropriate for me to risk you know, without their consent. And even with their consent, maybe they're just being cool. I can't take that chance. You know, the, the people around me, it's my responsibility as a man to, and as a business owner to to do my best to help them. And then if and when this situation we're able to uh, to all resolve it to one extent or another and we're able to to prepare properly and not put everyone else, you know, mortgage everyone else at the same time, then I will always be there the same way I've always been there against the best challenges available. But I'm not willing to compromise to do it.
1: So it's not enough for the UFC to put events on, you know, have the three fight cards and keep the train moving. You need to see restrictions banned. You need to see numbers t- t- rapidly decline. You need to see a you lot know, of changes, I'm,
4: right? I guess what I would say, I'm not, I'm not a virologist. I'm not a pathologist. I, I'm not. All I need is the ability to to prepare properly and feel like I'm not putting my my gym, you know, like I'm not doing anything illegal, I'm not going against local law, I'm not doing anything irresponsible. I'm not willing to put other people at risk. Would I risk getting the coronavirus to fight? Absolutely. Come on. I mean I'm not in the high risk group. If if this punches my ticket, I'm like, well dang, I didn't expect to win the lottery like that. But uh you know but again there's there's more to it than that so i guess i wouldn't say something specific like you know i don't there's not a specific set of criteria that i need but I, I would need to be able to prepare properly and i would need to make sure that in so doing i'm not i'm not putting my the livelihood of all the people around me at risk because that's just it just wouldn't be responsible
1: Kind of taking taking a different turn here because you mentioned Tony Ferguson. Obviously, he's got a big fight with Justin Gaethje coming up on Saturday. It's just a wild fight on paper. You know, Ferguson's great on the ground. He's excellent off his back and Gaethje's got that wrestling pedigree, but we never really get to see it because he's so dangerous on his feet. How do you break that fight down? What are you going to be looking for from these guys?
4: I am the. This is if you could make a fight like one of my Magic Happy Land fights. This is av- obviously uh, this is no question going to be one of those. You know, I'm, I'm a massive Gaethje fan. I'm a big fan of Tony Ferguson. Um, you know, it's Tony. Tony, his his ability in you know to in scrappiness and and playing off of his back and he's long and he's creative and in certain regards a little wild. You know, like it it makes him such a wild card. And I mean, I still remember that uh, it was like a picture that was going around a little while were it just to put in perspective like it showed the faces of all of the people that have fought tony ferguson in the last while and you go holy moly they look like they've been in the slasher film man <laughs> and it's not like this is not a tough group of people and tony had sometimes absorbed some damage as well but i think one of the things that makes him so offensively dynamic is, is the fact that he is he is out there you can find him you can hit him a little bit but at the same time he's a. Uh, when he gets going, man, he's he's overwhelmingly offensively effective. He's dangerous from all positions. He's always attacking, always moving, you know, obviously as the heart of a champion. Um, so – Gaethje is so similar in in that regard. They just use a different set of tools and and a different – he's obviously physically different. But, uh, yeah, man, I know that Tony can wrestle pretty well himself. And it's just – it's something that doesn't often come up as – at least not a, not in an obvious sense in a lot of his fights. Same way, Gaethje uses his wrestling more in reverse to stop people from stopping him from just engaging them. Um, but, you know, in older fights, I've seen old highlights and videos of him just launching guys. So, you know, he I think he was an all-American D1. So, you know, he can definitely wrestle. Um I guess it's it's t- it's difficult to pick. MMA is such an interesting sport because there's so many different ways to win and so many different ways to lose that it's so volatile by, by, you know, by nature compared to, let's say, a basketball game or even a boxing match, which is relatively sterile. And I think in a lot of ways, people haven't really figured out how to fight M- MMA in a way that limits that volatility. And I think that's something that Floyd Mayweather has done brilliantly in boxing. And it's something that a lot of times doesn't resonate with the average fan, maybe, um, or even the average competitor, because they go, oh, what are you doing? You're not even fighting. And you go, well, that's that's kind of the idea. Um, in certain regards, but then we watch his method and we watch his success over the years, and we go, man, there's something to this Floyd guy. And you also see him, obviously, when he gets touched, when he gets in trouble. Um, you know, he has all <clears throat> he has all the grit of an Arturo Gatti when he needs it. He just turns that on and off. So I guess uh, this this fight is 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 unbelievable because both of these guys are they are there to put you away. And I, I really love the way Gaethje approaches the game because. He doesn't say. I think a lot of people pretend to be Justin Gaethje and aren't. They're like, oh man, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get you and I'm gonna knock you out and you could never knock me out. He doesn't say stuff like that. He says basically, he's like, oh, if you don't knock me out, you're gonna have a really rough night. But I didn't say you couldn't. I just don't think you can. We'll find out. And and I think that he's as mentally tough as anybody out there, and he stands behind his words. He's an unbelievably entertaining fighter and a super skillful dude. I just uh, I'm ex- I'm excited as a fan to see this one.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a great fight. It's uh, a lot of moving parts in the UFC right now. 55's great. 35's great. 45's great. That's your division. You know, we got Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Cater fighting this weekend. That's a big yes. one. And then you got guys, you know, coming up like Sodiq Youssef and Shane Burgos making their way up the ladder. Zabit Magomed pops in the top three right now. Plus, you got the mainstays like Holloway and uh, Yair Rodriguez. We got a new champion in Alex Volkanovsky. You know, who knows when things are going to kind of turned the corner here for you to get back in there, but how excited are you to kind of look ahead to these matchups potentially heading your way over the next couple of years? Oh,
4: man, there's not a single name that you mentioned there that I wouldn't love to be in the ring with. Every single one of those guys is super tough. They bring their own set of skills. They bring their own little, like, personal superpower, you know? They all have certain things that they're particularly tough with, and and they're excellent fighters overall. It's been really neat to see such a smart fighter like Volkanovski make his way up the the tree and, and do so well, not just... You know, not just a tough guy, not just a skilled guy, but a very, but a very intelligent guy in the way that he approaches the fight game. Um, you know, obviously Holloway's a great fighter. You know, there's there's so many guys that that I look forward to. So I'll just be uh, I'll be excited when we get the opportunity to get back in there. And uh, I know that you know that win, lose or draw, I will give everything and uh, we will continue to fight the best people available for as long as we're around.
1: Well said, man, you're giving us a lot of your time. And I really appreciate that. I think I speak for everyone here and I know I speak for everyone here at MMA Fighting, but I think I speak for the fans as well when I say we're excited to to see you back in there whenever that is. But obviously, you know, family comes first and all that stuff comes first. So totally understand your decision. I think there's a lot of other fighters that feel the same way you do right now. But, uh, you know, hopefully and selfishly, we all hope that happens sooner rather than later. But I'm glad we we're able to to get together and make this happen, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Anything else you want to get off your chest uh, before we let you go?
4: no just thanks so much Mike for having me on I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and uh, I guess we'll be releasing uh, the modern half guard um, later this week uh, It's at uh, the website is uh, ryanhallonline.com and it's basically uh, starting to I never really thought that I would be making instructionals again but um, there's been a, a, I guess a pretty decent response to the 50-50 that we, that we put out kind of explaining some of the things that have learned over time some of the things that I was able to use successfully um, in a variety of fights and also against uh, you know obviously MMA and Jiu Jitsu great BJ Penn so I, I hope that people enjoy kind of what we've done with the half card I've always tried to be my best for everyone I can't say obviously I know everything or that it's always going to be right but it'll always be the best that I got at the time so uh, I hope that people will enjoy that that's all I can say and uh, I'll look forward to getting back in the ring when we as soon as we can and I, and I just hope to uh, hope to put on good performances so thank you so much Mike for having me I appreciate
1: it thanks Ryan take care all the best to you take care when I tell you that that interview in my eyes just flew by I really mean it and I think my producer Casey Lydon can attest to that as well i mean i looked at the clock and i was like holy moly it's been 35 (laughs) minutes we could have gone for another hour and i probably wouldn't even have noticed but really interesting stuff from ryan hall and this is something that's going to come up a little bit later on in the program as well for some of these fighters who aren't competing right now let's just get this out of the way it's not that they're afraid of the virus or afraid of competing in the middle of a pandemic it's about preparation it's about getting prepared to the best of their abilities. I mean, if they can't train with their teams or go to the gym that they that they usually go to because it's not legal, they can't do that. Or even take, a lot of fighters take a trip to the PI before their fights. It's like something they typically do. And if they can't do what they normally do to get ready for a fight, especially in Ryan's case, now that he's cracked the top 15, and he's looking for the biggest fights he can get, you have to make a choice. And obviously neither are wrong, but you have to deal with it in your own way. That's the choice that Ryan made. Other fighters made different choices and you have to respect it one way or the other. One gentleman who is going to be fighting and will do so on Wednesday night, he's going to make his UFC debut, Ike Villanueva. He was the Fury FC light heavyweight champion. It's a very popular promotion in Texas. Got a big following, mostly in the Houston area. But at 36 years of age and over 11 years in the sport, Ike Villanueva finally got the call. So here he is, the newest member of the UFC roster, Ike Villanueva. And I just want to preface this right off the bat. The audio quality is like 96% solid. Video quality, however, not fantastic. We tried a few different times to get it right, but unfortunately, we just couldn't get that crystal clear connection that we always like to have. But it's still a great conversation with Ike Villanueva ahead of his Octagon debut Wednesday night against the returning Chase Sherman. Here it is. This man, Ike Villanueva, will make his Octagon debut on Wednesday, May 13th in a heavyweight matchup against the returning Chase Sherman. The Hurricane will be rolling through Jacksonville, Florida, but before he does, he's stopping by this particular program. Welcome to the UFC, Ike. How are you? Man, it's, a, it's been a dream
0: come true, man. It's a lot of hard work, man.
1: man a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of long nights, man. A lot
0: of nice shit and tears, man. Just hard work, man. Blue-collar type. Guy, man, That work finally is paying off, man. But uh, it's not done yet, man. So a lot of work should be done now.
1: You did it, man. I mean, but we've that, done it. A... I'm just excited. finally got to call me. <laughs> Remember we talked
0: last time, brother? It was like, man, it was big, brother. It's like, man, it's, it's a long journey, bro. But, hey, you keep pushing. You keep working, man. The hard work will pay off. And I'm hoping to, these younger guys, you know, they see what I'm doing. I've been down the road. I've been at the lows. Those points where it's just you in the back of the locker room, you know? Because when you're up... You're up there at the highest point in the MMA. Everybody like, they love you. And you take that loss, they forget about you real quick. So I've been there, man. So, but now, man, this is my time, man. I'm excited for it, bro. It's,
1: it's interesting you mentioned the losses and how people can kind of turn on you because I've talked to fighters over the years, and they say that that is the most important lesson you can learn in the fight game is you know when you're winning, everybody wants to go out and drink beers with you, but when you lose, they just yeah. stop talking to you all together. Would you agree with that?
0: Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, I I have plenty of man. You look at all my friends on Facebook probably on half of them, man. You, know, you win it all, man. Hit the like button every time, man. This shit you lose, you ain't heard nothing. There's people in home that have been hitting me up. I ain't heard from them in two years since I was in the fight for Delator and all of a sudden hey they ain't- no, I respect it, appreciate it, thank you. But I you will know, keep it short, man. I'm gonna stay loyal to my my day ones, man. My my fight team, my family, and that's all I need, man. My sponsors, I keep my knick tight circle, man. I'm more older in the fight game, so I think my my time getting UC now, I, it'll benefit me now because I got less distractions, man. I'm doing it right now for my family, and uh, I got a newborn on the way in September, man. My baby Gigi, that's what that's what I'm doing for, man. I'm excited for. it.
1: Congratulations on that, man. So is that gonna be that's appreciate- your third kid?
0: Yeah, that'll be our first official. My wife has two, I have two, and this is our first together, man. So I'm excited, brother. This is like, man, and when this happened, it was just a blessing for both of us. And, uh, man, then my wife's from LA, big Kobe Bryant fan. So, you know, we're dedicated to that name. You gotta give it a name. GG, man. You gotta love that. Gianna GG. She's the next one. But that's gonna be my next little, uh, that's gonna be my prospect coming up. That'll be the next one.
1: That's amazing. So now you're in the UFC, and all the Johnny-come-latelys are coming out, wanting to talk to Ike Villanueva <laughs> now. Does it feel, like, surreal to hear those words, welcome to the UFC? Like, the more you hear, it's just is it just, like, the strangest sound in the world?
0: Yeah, it does. But, you know, like you said, as a fighter, you know, you dream it, you believe it, it'll come true. But you got to keep pushing, man. It'll, but it's amazing. It's, uh, man, it's like a long road, man, because uh, i work my butt off, and I tell everybody. But I'm going to the UFC, and regardless of age, man, I'm just a hardworking say hard-working guys. Uh, Coach Dan Bernada, man, I love that guy to death. he been my bus since day one. Um, he worked my butt off to get here, man, so it's, we're showing, man. The young guys in the gym, they're looking up to me. They're like, man, they're like, man, Hurricane, you you did it, man. You told us. And I tell everybody, they're like, man, it's, it's like it's meant to be because you're telling people it's going to happen, and here it is. And, man, it's just a dream come true. Blessing all oh, the glory to God, man. I'm very thankful, man.
1: So after the news came out I was uh, scrolling through social media I saw you had done a Facebook live Earlier in the day And you had told your friends and family That you had a really rough day at work And then you got a call or a FaceTime From your, man- from your manager Jason House Walk us through that day Like why was your day so terrible And then what was that phone call like for you?
0: It was, a, it was, just, no, it was just a busy day you know, we had to, you know Right now during the COVID-19 We got a lot of stuff going on We just got to be ready for everything And uh so at work, you know, there's a little roof fair right now because everybody's in a tight tight boat. So we're pushing out work, and we're lucky to be working right now at this time, man. I work for Huntington Energy Services, uh, Jack Beck, Andrew Cousins, and Lee is my big bosses over there. We'll make sure we're on our, our tight game. So uh, I'm leaving work that day. It was just, man, that was the day Texas opened up everything here. And it's the COVID-19, they opened the restaurants up. And that day, I was I to off work. I was going to plan to go uh, pick up my wife take her to dinner. And so after that... Um, I walk into the truck and Jason video call, call me. And Jason, look at house, a damn house. He's a butt. Are you butt, butt down with me, bro? What's going on, right? He's always a text message, a phone call, never a video call. So I was like, man, something's up, bro. Something's up. And I take my work boots off and I, before I got started the truck, I call him. All he says we did it. He goes, oh. he goes, you'll see. I didn't know I was fighting Chase Sherman until about an hour later. And so he said, we were all... It's crazy because it was a to do an hour before that. My coach was like, man, we don't like this. We don't care who it is. We're fighting, though. Even though it's that heavyweight, man, it was a, that's a blessing. But it was crazy because I'm, I'm on the phone with him, FaceTiming, and Then as soon as I hung up, I turned my truck around, and I hauled ass back to work, and I see my boss in the parking lot, man. I gave him a big hug, with my boss, Jack Peck. Because it been a lot, man, because that guy, he he helped me along the, my way. man. It just – Help me out at work and just, you know, me that support. You know, you always need that support if I hey, man, keep pushing. We're proud of you, everybody that hunting, they back me up. Because these are the guys, they had a pet rally for me before I probably shot a Cutler. I and mean, that was amazing having that many people do that for me. And now it's like, man, we did it. Like, we we all did it because, you know, they're, they're my support system. That's my family away from my house. And I'm very thankful for all of them at work. But it was, It was just a lot of emotions. Man, then when I call my brothers, my sisters, man, they, they shed tears with me because they know how hard I've been working, man. Um, back in 2012, when I lost my father, I took three years off. And when I came back, this was my goal. In 2015, it just it took a while, but hey, I got here, man. I'm just very thankful, and bro.
1: Why did Why did you take those three years off? If you don't mind me asking, I don't uh, think we ever talked about that.
0: Yeah, man, it's a lot of bad stuff, man. I uh, just I went through back in 2011. I lost my father in 2012, and I just I was going through a lot of rough times. Just wouldn't get in the mindset. Wouldn't get the great training because I was going through too much. Um, you know, it just kept me away from it. And I just, I kept up to the family business. I just had lots of. Stuff. I had to take care of my mom back then, and uh, that was my main focus. So you know, back then I didn't step in the gym one time. I just stepped away and uh, took care of my mom, my kids, and just focused on coaching football. That kind of was my escape back then to help me get away. And finally, after coaching on my kids up, my son. It was time to get back in there, man. I was very thankful to my nephew, uh, Christian Tobar, man. He pushed me to get back in there. And Jeremy said, man, you got to go fight, man. You're not done. And I was not sure. I'm thankful because I wasn't. Man. I still had a lot of fight left. And it's been shown, man. Pick up any video, pick up any fight. Check out my last two. That shows you who I really am, man. Those are USC events, man. So they weren't no pushovers, man.
1: So when you took that breaks, so let's say like, you know, 2012, 2013, as this, this train yeah. is rolling uh, here, uh, are you, did you think you were coming back? Like did you think you were gonna fight again?
0: Man, mentally no. No. my said no. Uh the only thing that saved me from coming back or it will help me from coming back off a crash. Off of a crash about twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. And I was able, to. You know, we weren't working crazy hours no more, you know, I was able to manage we get off at two o'clock. And here I am but like I'm not the guy, I'm not going to part at two o'clock that's noon. That's just with my style. I'm I'm not gonna do that, man. It's finally I started contact with the native of I said, man, let's get it back rolling. And sure enough, man, I uh, got back in the gym and that was it, man. Cause back then, it was, I was like, it, then, man. But thankfully, man, it all played out the way it did.
1: So, for those who are seeing you for the first time, you just turned 36 years of age. That's younger than I am, by the way. So, I don't want to hear that you're old or anything like that. <laughs> you know, you had your first MMA fight. In 2008, and you just kept grinding away, and you shared the cage, like, if you go through your record, like, you fought some 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 names. Drysdale, Justin yeah. Ledette, Trevin Giles. Uh, you finished, like you alluded to, your last four fights in the first round. Last two wins are against UFC veterans Roger Navias and Richard Coulter to set you up for this opportunity. I don't think I've even asked you this before, but... You know, you had your pro debut at the end of 2008, so you probably would have been 24, 25, which is a little, a little bit later than the average fighter has their first fight and finds the sport. But how did this MMA journey start for you?
0: I oh, man, it's all started, man. Back in I, I walked in the Silverback Fight Club way back, it was 2005, six. That's when I met the good guys. And I was still working the whole field. That was my main focus. Well, my my drive to still compete, man. That's you know, playing high big football, you know, Texas football is everything. Played rugby. I had the drive to compete, and that's what I wanted to do. And you, I started seeing it on TV, and once I walked into Silverback Fight Club, there was no tournament back. That's where I met man. Being that Derrick Lewis came out of Silverback, you got Danny Pineda, Jose Sotomayor. I met Crew Bob there, man. Our, our late coach, Tony Roscoe, man. He passed away from cancer, man. He showed me when, what heart really is and he pushed me. I'm thankful for that guy. And um it's all a blessing. But back then that's when I started, man. Once I got there, who I thought I was this big muscle guy coming out data for put me in the guillotine and he didn't let go. He was like a pitbull. Once he locked, I picked him up over my head, he would not let go. I'm like, Yeah <laughs> So show sure. you know, so you can be this big knockout artist, but man, you better learn some ground defense. while well, I'll never forget that day. He's like, man, great memories. And we still laugh about that to the day. But, man, these are, those are my brothers, man. That's like my little brother, man. So we look out for each other. I'm very thankful to have these guys still in my life after so many years.
1: How did Daniel and Crew Bob and, and all those guys react to the news? Because I'm sure they were just, you know, elated for you. This is this is so hey, big.
0: Yeah, man. so Daniel's, Daniel's the head coach. Daniel's he, he tells me, man. He's funny because every fight, you know, we got the game plan. And he'll come up and let's do something here. We'll do this. And then to me, I'm like, yes, sir, man. Let's do it, man. He's, I'm, yeah, he's a little guy. I'm 45. Well, I, give, I give him all the respect in the world, man, because he's my head coach, and I tell him, I said, man, you, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And he's great, man, it was, I mean, we shed tears, man. It was a proud moment because, you know, hard work pays off. And same thing with Bob, He knew, he knew it. He could man, So remember 14, 15 years ago, man, when you walked in the gym. And uh, it's something for the guys here in Houston to see, man. Just don't give up, man. Keep working because – and it's not always, the grass ain't always green, man. You got to go through the rough times. Because if you don't go through the rough times, it's good, man. When you take a loss, you're just going to fold, man. You you know, this is an MMA game, man. It happens. You just keep pushing. But, man, everybody at the gym, man, it was just an uh, emotional time. It follows us. But uh, tears of joy, though, man. We're excited. It happens.
1: Once you came back from your hiatus, you've just been on a tear. You've gone eight and two since you returned. You had the, the loss to Trevor Giles, but the other one was a was a really close split decision loss in Fury FC, but that was the last time you've lost. You've just been tearing it up. You have not spent a lot of time in the cage. What do you think changed for you? Like when, you know, what led to things really starting to click for you in there?
0: Man, just, after that, man, uh, just uh, pissed off mental fires. Like, man, it that fight that split decision loss, I was just living that day. Uh, man, it went went from being a, a five 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 minute fight, then they come and tell me in the locker room, you know, the damn Texas Commission. Oh, y'all fighting three, three minute rounds. I mean, just you know, it is at the very last minute, right when we we're walking out, they said, y'all fight fighting three on the right three five minute rounds. Just for the Texas Commission I was living. So that turned into a damn like a little boxing session, he just moved. Yeah, and the guy even you know, fighting eighty five. No, that's a big weight test, so it takes time to get adjusted, you know. But uh ever since then I I I will never i never do that again. I said, Man, I changed. I was just a man on fire, man. I went back to gym, regrouped. Uh, my wife Kim, man, she she's on my ass. She makes sure everything's aligned, man. She she makes sure I'm mentally focused, man. It's that mental toughness I need. It's just a great support system I get from my family. But man, this comeback is just man, it's it's now or never. That's how like I got that. It's now and never. man. It's it's go time, man. It's finally here.
1: You sort of alluded to this, and I think most fighters get into the sport right. because they have that urge to compete and prove something to themselves. And, you know, it gets to a point, and it's happened for you, obviously, where you start to believe, like, holy crap, maybe I can take this thing to the yeah. next level and go all the way with it. Do you remember, yeah. like, that moment for you when you are like, I, I truly believe that the UFC is, is now an option? Was it a fight, a, a training session? Do you remember that day? Yeah,
0: yeah. A couple fights, even though the fight I had with Trevor Trevor Jones was a high prospect. I cut down 85, and I was I'm a big guy, man, because I cut 85, that's a a lot of weight, bro, and it's just, man, um, we threw down three rounds, and that weight cut got me in those last three rounds. I believe I was up on that fight, man, it's just, we had probably the most wildest second round in LFA history, Everybody knew us after that, but uh, when I came back, and I was like, okay, we grew, I went and fought Roger Nevis, and I said, bring me these UFC vets, I went to this hometown. Like I said, I went to California training with some badasses out there, man. They showed me the number of love, but they showed me the ropes, man. They helped me motivate me to come back and take care of business. But I went to Corporation Christie. And when I knocked out Roger in 30 seconds, it was 28, I looked around. I was like, I looked at the motor. I'm like, this is it. This is those UFC guys. I was like, man, these are those guys that are in front of me, man. And that's all it took. It was okay. It's, it's home. Then that same night, Rashad Cup, came in the cage and he's like, man, you, I'm next. I was like, <laughs> no second, no no second Five no bagging I'll see you soon. That's what it was, man. It's just, it's just let's go line them up, man. It's like yeah, one after another, and I said, uh, same thing happened with the. Uh, Cutler man. That's a great dude, man. He's a man. He's a beast, man. Him and uh, Chase, they fought, man. That was a rumble man. I like that. But yeah, same thing happened here But I'll be long here, man. So I'll say that Roger DeVice fight. That was a fight that really pushed me and had everybody believe in Texas, man. He's coming from the UFC.
1: After the Coulter win, and anyone who follows you on social media can attest to this, you were doing everything you could to get noticed. You wanted that opportunity. You wanted that shot. And you talked about having some long nights and having some doubts. You know, what were some of those nights like for you? I mean, it it has to be tough because you really, like, you've earned your stripes. Like, you had the winning streak. You've had the credentials to this point. You know, but but for some reason, that phone was a ringing. What were those nights like for you?
0: It was, it was tough, man, was just, it, I had lonely nights in the gym, lonely nights downtown, at crew this place, and just, them drive home, is like, man, what else is left, what else I gotta do? And that's like like the devil in disguise. He's trying to break you, trying to fool you somewhere else. He's like, man, it ain't gonna happen. Well, my, my wife said, man, be patient, baby, be patient. I'm a, we're family, man, I'm a hardworking guy. I'm just, I gotta take care of my family, so I'm like, man, my patience was running out. She was, be patient. And I was like, man, I will be. Late up at night, and one in the morning, just waking up. Is this gonna happen? Then uh, I waited all January. I said, "Man, give me a last minute phone call, man. Come on for the Fury card." It didn't happen. I'm like, "Man, we tried hard to get on that card." And that night, I went to the USC show, man. Air uh, Garcia, Fury Fight Championships. They um, they hosted me out there. We had a great time. At the party, I uh, I walked up to Mick You know, a lot of guys wouldn't. And I walked up. I said, "I just want to know. And I asked Maynor." Who do I have to meet to get in the UFC? Who else is left? You, t- you give me a name. And he, and he told me, like, you're doing great. He goes, it's your age. It's hard. It's just your age right now. I am like, okay. So it's kind of like a little dagger, but a little bit more fire to fuel me, to keep pushing. So I left that same-ass party. It was probably 2 in the morning. I'm in the, I'm in the Uber. I text every voter around, I said, you find me the best prospect. Anybody on their radar, you send them to me. I said, I'll line them up next. And that was our main goal. We were getting ready for that. And but this COVID nineteen happened, and now man, I got the I got the call, man. But Jason House did send some message, hey man, y'all stay ready because it could happen. But after that, California show got canceled. Man, our doubts were like, man, this, I don't, we don't think this is gonna happen. And we actually took a, like a, a ten days off from the gym. And it was like, man, and finally, hey man, this happened, and I'm thankful it did because this time, baby.
1: <laughs> so after. You know, you, you get over the initial word that you're in the UFC. You finally realize you're fighting Chase Sherman. And, you know, you talked about the fight with Coulter, which is just such a wild bananas fight. If I'll give you all who are watching right now a little task. Yeah. If, if you haven't watched yeah. that fight, I highly recommend you go watch it. It's, uh, it's incredible. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. he's just got that killer be killed mentality. You know, he didn't have a great run in the UFC the first time around, but he bounced back with some wins with island fights, three first round finishes, became the bare knuckle FC heavyweight champion. You know, when yeah. you finally realize that you're fighting Chase Sherman, how did you react to that?
0: Oh no, man! It was crazy. You know who called me it was uh, Rashad Cutler. He called me. He goes, he goes, uh, he goes, man. And that's I, I, I take respect to that, man. He reached out to me, he goes, man. You go, that's a that's a fight for you, man. He, he shares some knowledge with me. Well, Rashad, man, yeah, not Rashad, uh, Chase. Yeah, hey, man, much problem to him. Man. He's a vet and uh, he's a tough guy. Uh, if I if I did bare knuckles, uh, I'll, I can hang with the best over there. If I did that, probably gonna I'm in MMA. I'm just something not my style. Man. If I'm gonna get a bar fight, I'm just gonna get in a bar fight. So that's what they're paying over there bare knuckles. My business is to fight three. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I I I mean man, so right now it's a like, man. It's a great matchup. It's uh, the fans are gonna win this fight, and it's gonna be lovely. I mean, um, can he uh, is it gonna be a rumble like the Rashad fight? Only, okay, hey, find out May 13th because they uh, all rumble out. I'm hoping to any rumble that comes. But, hey, I'm the same mentality. Meet me in the the cage. secure and be killed, man. It's, uh, I got all Texas on my back and um, my Spanish community uh of Chicago. Man, if we don't die, man, we're going out fighting. So I'm excited for it, man.
1: I know it's your your first fight for the UFC. You're focused on May 13th, but you know you, you talked about how your your place of work has been so supportive of you over the years. They've, th- they've they've thrown parties for you. They've they've thrown you know pep rallies for you and all this stuff. Yeah. Do you see yourself still working there full time and still fighting, yeah. or do you think things might change?
0: Uh, we're, uh, man, we we talked about it. I'm I'm not leaving these guys, man, because not many co- companies will stay by you through this, man, because they say, oh, okay, you choose one. These guys have been, man, open to it. And i even came back getting certified. And I, I went straight to the big boss and told them. I said, will you support this? And they're like, man, we're all for it. And when I got the phone call and I asked them, I said, man, you take two weeks off. Like, go ahead. Just go. Don't not worry about nothing. Just go. And they called me Saturday morning and gave me all the blessings. And they just keep going. And they were texting throughout the day. Uh, but I'm just very thankful I would, I would never leave these guys man uh, I mean, just, that family man uh, they'll always support me whenever I need to go train I'm pretty sure they'll let me do whatever I need to do but uh, hunting and services I uh, mean they spend loyal to me so I wouldn't do that
1: man got a little bump I got someone working on the roof right now and they chose right now to come work on the roof <laughs> but uh, a couple more <laughs> things I got not
0: brother Where's the, where's the where, I don't see the Patriots sign. We're always
1: doing the Patriots. Where, where, where's that? We're in the uh, <laughs> we're, we're in the process of, of moving from Command Center okay. One to Command Center Two. So okay. we've left one po- picture on the wall yeah, for some I sort of ambiance. Autographed <laughs> autographed uh, Ali and Larry Holmes Ali.
0: from man, Ali's man, last man. fight. Yeah, man, I actually met Larry Holmes. when I was a kid. That dude's a monster, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, bro.
1: That's crazy, but now you get to try to to make some history in your own right. May thirteenth, two thousand twenty, Ike Villanueva versus Chase Sherman in Jacksonville, Florida, on ESPN plus. What is this headline going to read when it's over, Ike? <laughs>
0: Ooh. Oh man, that's all I just say, man. The hurricane has landed, and that's all I wanted to say, because man, because man, I, I see it in my head. Vision. I just know, man. You you vision it, you believe. it? Happen, my mind's going forward, man. Hurricane's coming, man. Hurricane one in full effect Cause May 13th. I'm coming, man. Heavyweight, light heavyweight, don't matter. I'm still the same fighter, man. The weight's just out the window. And um, thank you to everybody, but just for everybody back home here in Houston, everybody in Texas, all my family, man. Uh,
1: this
0: is big. know uh, I read that sports agency, flawless Fights, Love. It's go it's time, man. I'm ready.
1: What a great story that is. Ike villain away of a The newest member of the UFC roster, taking on Chase Sherman on Wednesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. All the best to him as he makes his promotional debut. And uh, apologies for the video quality there. We did everything we could. That's just what we got, and it is what it is. I enjoy the conversation, nonetheless, as we head to our final guest of this loaded edition of What the Heck. Let us check in with Michael Chiesa, the Maverick himself. We shot the breeze about... A whole bunch of different things: how he's handling things in this pandemic, how a new rivalry has found his fighting career. All respectful, by the way. If you're looking for Michael Chiesa to talk trash, that is not going to happen. But we did—we uh, broke down some of the big fights on Saturday night as well at UFC 249. Lot to discuss. Here it is with Michael Chiesa. All right, we move ahead to one of our favorites here on MMAfighting.com. A few weeks back. You may have caught him on the A-side live chat. He was educating us in all things Sasquatch. It was pretty amazing. Let us check in with the number eight welterweight contender in the world, Michael Chiesa rocking just an outstanding mustache. How are you, man?
5: <laughs> Doing good. It's good to be here. I think, I'm, I think I'm using the same cup I was on the A-side. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. <laughs> what a coincidence.
1: So we got that good juju going right off the bat. Uh, yeah. So how um, is – I'm starting to lose my mind here with quarantine life. Like luckily I'm in the middle of a, uh, of a house renovation. So we have a lot of things keeping us busy and obviously the MMA news cycle hasn't slowed down at all, but you know, how is quarantine life for you at this point?
5: Um, it's been okay. You know, it's, it's obviously starting to wear on me a little bit. Um, fortunately I get along with my fiance real well. So we have been spending a lot of time together. She's a real estate agent. So things have, haven't totally slowed down for her, but, um, You know, she's, she's, she's at home a lot with me as well. So, uh, but it's kind of wearing on me, you know, it's, it's, I'm ready to go back to normal life and I think we all are. Um, so that's obviously not out of the ordinary for anybody to feel that way. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're getting house projects done around here. Um, actually, if it wasn't pissing rain today, I'd probably be out starting to build a new fence. That's kind of the, the direction I'm going. That's my next big project I think. So, um, you know, other than that, man, we're getting by, um, but yeah, I'm ready for some normal, some normal life.
1: I bet. I know you're in uh, you're in Washington State right now. The governor's trying to to phase things out step by step. But um, one thing that that caught a lot of people's attention is about a week in a week or so ago, a little over a week ago, you posted to your Instagram and you sort of just put your feelings out there about the fight game and where things are at right now. Like you didn't put a timeline on anything, but you essentially said. I'm not fighting unless I can be at my absolute best because the resources just aren't necessarily there for you to be at your absolute best. So you're going to wait it out until they are. Was there anything specific that inspired that post where a lot of people just hitting you up and like, when are you fighting again, man?
5: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it sucks not having an answer. You know, this is the first time in my whole career. I don't have an answer to that question where it's like, you know, if I'm coming off an injury, it's like, well, I kind of know when I'm coming back or if it's like, Oh, you know, we're, Wait for certain fights to happen. You know, you always have a time frame. The tough thing for me, Mike, is this is the for usually this time of year I'm in training camp. If you look back, 2017, I fought Kevin Lee at the end of June. 2018, I fought Pettis in July. 2019, I fought Diego Sanchez in July. You know, so it's like this is the time when I'm usually transitioning into a training camp, and it's not happening right now. And you know, fortunately for me, I'm able to get some training in still. Um, you know, I'm still working with Sam Cecilia. I'm still working with Rick Little. You know, we're getting a few practices in a week um, just because, you know, we're in the process of building a big gym. So we kind of have like a secret location where we train. Um, but other than that, my jujitsu gyms are closed. The boxing gyms are closed. Um, you know, all all the places I do, all my strength conditioning, they're closed. And it's one of those things where I know that there's guys out there that are, they're making do with what they got and they're taking fights. And I respect that a lot. You know what I mean? I really do. Me, I don't have the headspace for that. I've gotten to a certain point at welterweight again, getting back in the top 10 um, by doing things a certain way. And I'm not going to go into my next fight without having the same pieces in play that I did for my last three fights. You know, I, there's, I have a winning formula right now and I don't want to it away from that and lose my spot and rush coming back. And it's not that I don't want to fight. I want to fight. Trust me. I just watched the Gilbert Burns fight get away from me. And that's the fight I really wanted. You know what I mean? Um, But I just – it's one of those things, man. Like I don't have some of the resources that these guys do. You know what I mean? And and I'm not going to take that chance. It's not just about losing my spot. It's also about my health. You know, in order for me – I'm not trying to downplay myself or my skills. But a lot of times the way I beat these guys is because I show up at my absolute best. And if you don't show up at your absolute best, if you're just a little bit behind me, I'm going to beat you. You know what I mean? There's a reason why I'm always an underdog. I'm not a betting favorite. I'm always kind of like, it doesn't matter who you match me up with in the top 10, I'm going to be an underdog. But there's a reason why I win. And that's because I have these long training camps. I'm ready for every single specific thing to where if a guy is not on by just this much, I'm going to beat him. So you know, it goes back to hell, and, and, and things like that. So I got to I, I think that my contingency plan, honestly, with Washington extending these guidelines is I'm just going to wait for the P. I to open. And when it does, I'm just going to ship myself down there for a couple weeks and then I can at least have some headspace and know, like, at least I have my strength conditioning. I know there will be some bodies down there. I know John Woods down there. Maybe I'll bring a couple guys from home with me. Maybe I'll bring Rick Little with me. Who knows? You know what I mean? Um, but that's kind of my contingency plan right now. So, I mean, that's just, that's basically what I got to work with, man. It's just a trying time. And I commend these guys that are able to make that walk without having the regular that that they normally do. But I just don't think that's a risk I'm willing to take right now.
1: And I think it's commendable on your end as well because, you know, we have seen other fighters make that same decision with a lot of these things in play. Wonder Boy was a guy I spoke to a few weeks ago. He was with that. He has the same mentality. Ryan Hall was on the show this week, said essentially the same thing. Like, my gym's not open. Like, how can I adequately prepare for a fight? It's just a you know, a weird time we're in, like you said, like, especially in this sport, because while most sports have postponed everything for a while, the UFC is just like, nope, we're going to move forward. And that's going to kick off this weekend. How did you react to it all initially when Dana White started saying, I don't care what everybody else is doing. We're doing this thing. You know what? I
5: comm- That's awesome. Good for Dana. You know, the the thing is, is one thing that's different about our sports league than others is, is we, we get paid when we fight, you know what I mean? And so Dana's trying to keep these guys employed and keep them paid. And I know a lot of people are going to gripe about like, Oh, well, there's no stimulus checks for this or that. Well, guess what? This is different. This is fighting. This isn't like any other professional sports league or any other sport. Um, so he's doing his job and he's, he's keeping these guys employed. Sorry. My dog's about to bark at me. I got to throw his toy. Get out of here. Um, good for him. You know what I mean? These guys need to fight. These guys got to make a living, you know what I mean? And uh he's given them the opportunity to do that. You know, and that's probably a lot of the guys that probably are fighting. There's a lot of the guys that are like, shit, I can't I can't wait around, you know. There's guys that got families to feed and in businesses um outside of fighting that they got to keep going, you know. So fighting's a fighting's a, a top priority for them right now, you know. So um yeah, good for Dana. He's doing his thing. That's what that's what he does best. He makes shit happen. He just I think the biggest mistake that anybody in the world made is telling him he can't do something. I think that he get the fights going no matter what. I mean, I think he was highly motivated to be the first guy out front and you know, he wanted to be the guy that to be the be the front runner for all the sports leagues. So I think he already had that in his mind already, but I think the fact that then they started saying no, you can't do this and you won't be able to he's like, "All right, screw you, watch this. I don't, now I'm going to now I'm going to buy an island. Now I'm going to do <laughs> So I think, you know, that was a catalyst for a lot of the, the actions we've seen out of him in the last couple of months. And, you know, that's awesome. That's why that's what makes Dana so great.
1: You mentioned Gilbert Burns. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago because that guy is an absolute madman. He would fight every three days if he could. But he mentioned that he did speak to you about possibly fighting. And you told him essentially, look, man, I want to fight you. But. I can't train. I'm not fighting right now. And he could not have respected that anymore. And now it looks like he's going to fight Tyron Woodley on May 23rd. You sort of preface this, but is it a little tough sitting back and seeing a fight like that materialize when you could very well be in that discussion?
5: Dude, it is. It is a tough thing. But I think that the fight can still be there once him and Woodley are done doing the thing. I think Gilbert Burns is going to become my greatest rival. You know what I mean? Because we speak, we speak regularly. I, we, you know, we both have a certain amount of respect for each other and I flat out told him, you know, I'm like, you, dude, I want nothing more than to compete against you. I think that that's my best challenge right now is I look at his skill set and that's the guy that's going to give me the most problems. And it's like, you know what? And you, you pair that with the fact I have a ton of respect for the guy. And I think the world of him, it's like, there's nothing to lose. Let's just go have fun, you know? And, uh, I pretty much told him, like, dude, I'm not going to go fight the best jujitsu practitioner at welterweight without being able to go train at my jujitsu academy. Like, that is like, you know, if you're going into an MMA fight and you have a revolver and you have six bullets, that's like pulling two bullets out and only being able to go in there with four. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, you know, I'm not trying to go – I'm trying to have as many bullets as I can going into a gunfight. You know what I mean? And just – Go, going to fight Gilbert Burns while not training jujitsu, it might be. I mean, that's just stupid, you know. So it's like, that's kind of what I told him. Like, man, I can't. I want to fight you bad, but I just would be not. I'm not doing myself any favors if, if I'm if I can't train jujitsu. You know what I mean? I'm not a I'm not a black belt world champion like you. I'm a blue belt technically. So it's like, it's uh, you know. It is what it is, man. But I'm pulling for him against Tyron. And I think that no matter what, him and I are on a collision course. We're gonna fight someday. It's just it's destined to be, you know what I mean? But until then, I just gotta sit back as a fan and and I'm hoping he wins, man. I'm hoping I definitely hoping he beats Woodley. That would be huge, man. That's a good that'd be a big feather in his cap.
1: For sure. What's one thing I've noticed since I've come over to MMA Fighting is that There are a lot of fans out there that follow the site and their main purpose is just to hammer everybody that they can. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. They'll just hammer them. And there are some fighters who get it more than others. But Tyron Woodley may get it more than anybody I've ever seen. Like, this guy is a former champion. He's found success outside of the cage. He's a family man. Like, all the things you would, like, respect a fighter for, but for some reason, he just gets crushed all the time. Like, why do you think that is?
5: Um, well, I think that, you know, that's that is tough to say. I think I I respect Tyron, he's a good guy. Um I think that the he kind of plays the victim card a lot. And I think that doesn't really do him any favors. Um I know the rap thing kind of he gets picked on about the rap thing, especially the recent um, you know, recent little clip that came out that Gilbert Burns has just been throwing out there a ton that falling in that falling in and out of love thing that he's oh man. That's doesn't do him any favors. You know what I mean? That's just not, (laughs) that doesn't help his case. Um, but it's tough to say, you know what I mean? I, I, I will say this with all due respect to him. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm surprised he took the Burns fight because a lot of times I feel like it's like, you're kind of the Leon fight didn't happen. And it's like, instead of addressing Leon, you're like asking, you're like calling out Izzy and, things that are kind of like out of your weight class, is kind of like, well, you're not addressing the things that are right in front of you. You know what I mean? I think that that can be frustrating for the fans when it's like, instead of addressing, you know, he's in a situation where he's got to fight a Burns. He's got to fight a Leon, but he's not acknowledging it. And it's like, well, I'm going to try to fight Izzy, or I'm going to try to get another fight with Usman. or it's. And I respect that. He's one of the best welterweight champions we've had of all time. And he probably feels he's entitled to those big fights. But the fact of the matter is, when you lose, you got to get back on the horse and jump back in there somehow. And you're not always going to be able to do that with an immediate rematch. You know what I mean? So I think maybe some fans get some frustration from him in that sense. But, you know, who knows? I think maybe it's just the rap thing. I think people haven't fully absorbed that yet.
1: Yeah, I'm a terrible rapper myself, so I'm not here to pass judgment. But uh, I can't believe the Covington but fight he- still hasn't happened yet. Like that fight is so big, it just for some reason they can't get it together. I don't know why. That's the fight that needs to happen. And, yeah,
5: I have a I have a little, I have a little uh,
1: suspicion. You know,
5: I got a little something in my head that's kind of got me thinking. All of a sudden, we have no Usman Masvidal. To my understanding, from what I'm reading in the news, it sounds like the Usman Masvidal is not happening, and now all of a sudden they're talking about a they're talking about a Masvidal um, Conor McGregor fight. For some reason, that's in the last three days, that's kind of become a little bit of a rumor. So maybe they're going to do in my my little thing in my head is telling me that maybe it's going to be Covington versus Usman rematch. You know what I mean? Because while the sudden is while the sudden is not, Usman Masvidal not a real thing. So. Sorry, my dogs are more pestering than children. Yeah. <laughs> they're serious. They are just like the second I have to do anything that doesn't involve them. They're just, they're just all over my shit. There we go. <laughs> but doesn't yeah, happen. that's kind of like my little theories. I really think that I think that now all of a sudden with it's it's sounding like there's going to be no um, no Usman versus Mazda. I think that they're going to do the immediate rematch with Covington because. Why would they not do Woodley versus Covington first? That's a huge fight. No offense to Burns. Burns is my guy. That's my boy. You know, but he, that Covington versus Woodley's a way bigger fight from you know. But I'm glad I went to Burns. I'd rather have it go to Burns. Good for him. Let him get the win. And let's let's, you know, let's start changing that top five. Let's start changing the landscape of the the landscape of fifteen through six is changing a lot. We could use some movement in the top five, you know, so you know, yeah. Go
1: Burns. <laughs> yeah, 170 seventy's <laughs> just been so interesting for so long. So Burns could be a big part of the changing of the guard. But yeah, that is on May 23rd. Fight week is right now. UFC 249 coming up on Saturday. And considering what is going on in the world, this is a really good card. Like Cerrone yeah. and Pettis fighting on the prelims. Like that's how good this card is. And I'm curious about... Your take on that fight, because you've shared the cage with Pettis before. He's coming off a couple of losses. He was submitted for the first time in his career in his last fight. And Donald Cerrone has just fought straight killers and never hesitates to say yes to anybody. And it's a rematch from seven or so years ago. I'm sure Cerrone, even though he won't say it, got a little extra fire in his belly to try to get one back. But what do you think Cowboy has to do, in your opinion, to avoid what happened in their first fight?
5: Don't go backwards. Don't, that's the biggest thing. When you, when you fight Anthony Pettis... And easier said than done. You know, the one thing about Anthony that is – that I underestimated is when you stand across from the guy, it's one thing to walk him down. But he has this like – the way his stance is and the way he looks in front of you, he is just like – his body is locked in. He's really twitchy. He makes these really small movements that can draw you into – it's not even like their fates are faints. It's just he's such a fast twitch striker that just the way his motion is and his stance, it'll – sometimes it can trigger you to attack or sometimes it can trigger you to retreat because you just, you never know what the guy's going to do. He's, he could run off the fence and freaking kick you. He might jump off the fence and Superman punch. You You never know what he's going to do. So the key for cowboy. And I think one thing that he has going for him is, is I think bringing John Wood in was a great asset for this camp. Um, You know, I, I trained a lot with John Wood before I fought Pettis and I had my success until I just ran out of, ran out of steam. John Wood did a good job. Uh, He does a good job of getting fighters to put pressure on people. And so I think him working with John is going to help him with applying pressure. I think the cowboy, whoever wins this fight is going to be the guy that goes forward and doesn't retreat. You know what I mean? Because that's kind of the tale for both guys. I mean, if you look, if you look at both guys, if you were to get matched up with them and you're breaking down film, one thing that's always going to be at the top of the list is like, okay, get them on their heels. You know what I mean? So it's going to be whichever guy can get going forward first. I think that's going to be the guy that wins. Um, you know, and, and I think it'll be a fun fight. I can't believe it's a prelim. I mean, that's the striker's delight right there. That could that could steal the show, and that's a good contingency plan, too. Because if something goes south, even though they're fighting at 170, if something goes south, you got you know, w- w- in the main event, you got one of those guys could fill in for that main event spot, in, in just in case something happens. Um, I think it would have been smarter for them for the UFC if they would have had Pettis and Cerrone fight at 55. Just in case something happens in that main event and they could throw one of those guys in, but they're fighting at seventy, and I don't blame them. I could never fight if if I was going into a fight right now during this coronavirus pandemic, there is no way in hell I would ever be I, making making the extra weight class down. It would be that's that would be a nightmare. So I don't blame them for fighting at seventy.
1: Yeah, there's a few of those fights. Brian Kelleher's fighting Hunter Azure at 145. Kelleher's like so fired up about that. The, the quarantine weight class is what he calls it. So I think you're going to see that well, a lot more UFC over this next UFC month or so. Is,
5: I know the UFC isn't too stoked on it. They're not big on the – and I don't blame them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I know they're not too stoked on it. Not him, per se. Not him. Not him. I'm not picking on Brian. I'm just saying that I'm stoked right. on the weight classes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they're probably just sick of him being like, "All right, fine. Stop telling us you want to fight. We'll just put you on the card. You want to fight it for? Fine, fine. Forty-five. It is. Um, Yeah. So Hudo versus Cruz for the bantamweight title. Um, Love this fight, man. There, 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 there was there was some trash talk back and forth on the conference call earlier this week. The big story here as it's been for a a few different fights for Cruz, it's the long layoff. It's been over three years since the Garbrand fight. Ronda Rousey has fought since then. I think by the time this fight happens, Cowboy will have fought 12 or 13 times before Cruz walks to the cage since then. Like, but as you've seen, Cruz comes through these layoffs and has been very successful. And Cejudo, meanwhile, has looked spectacular. Wins over DJ, TJ, Marlon Marais' his last three. Very fascinating fight. Probably the storyline of the card, in my opinion. What say you? What do you think of that fight?
5: Well, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. If there's anybody that can come back up a long layoff and win, it's going to be Dominic Cruz. And... um one thing Dominic has that these guys don't is, is the way he moves and his footwork and that can kind of draw like if you watch how he fought TJ Dillashaw, his movement can draw guys into missing a lot of strikes. And he's one of the few guys in the UFC that can win off of defense. You don't really see that in mixed martial arts. You see that in boxing. You know, you see guys in boxing win fights with defense, you know, making guys miss and blocking and countering, and things like that. And I feel like Dominic's like the only guy just off the top of my head, I can think of the wins fights off defense. Um, so if he can do that, if he can get Suhudo missing and he can, you know, do his bull versus Matador type of stuff, you know, he has a really legit chance to win this fight. You know what I mean? And if there's anybody that can do it, it's Dominic Cruz. I think that people lose sight of the fact that, yeah, it's unfortunate. He's probably been the most cursed guy. And I know he doesn't like to say cursed because he's so mentally tough. He he there's no he has He does not want sympathy from anybody if you ever talk to the guy he's like what's the curse you know it's just life life challenged me to do overcome these things like he has such a strong mindset and that's going to benefit him in this fight he's just going against the triple c though i mean this is like one of the best and i hate to i mean a lot of people would hate that i say this but i mean he really is one of the best combat sport athletes of all time i might be biased because i'm a wrestler um but, you know, Dominic Cruz has a legit chance to win this fight. You know what I mean? And and I think that it's going to play out. I think no matter what, it's going to go to a decision. Um, you know, and that, that that's that's risky business for Cejudo, in my opinion. I mean, that's – unless you can blow Dominic out like Cody Garbrandt did, you're, it's going to be a really tough – it's tough to win a decision against Dominic. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, if, if Cejudo wants to win this fight, he has to make Dominic lead the dance. You make him lead the dance. You know what I mean? That's one thing Cody did well. You make Dominic lead, and you counter him. You know what I mean? If you can get Dominic to lead, you have a better chance of winning a fight. So um, we'll see how that one pans out, dude. That's going to be interesting. And then before we get to the main event, we all know how how the main event's going to go. Pure violence. That's (laughs) where we're getting. Violence from bell to bell, I don't think it goes past two rounds.
1: Yeah, I I have to say – being on that conference call earlier this week, you have Cruz and Suhudo going back and forth, just like jaw jacking at each other. And then you have Ferguson and Gaethje on the call. And these two were just so fired up. Like there's no trash talk at all. They were just like, yeah, buddy. It was like, almost wow. like they were high-fiving each other on the phone. I got goosebumps after listening to them. Without a single word of trash talk spewed amongst either of those guys, like this is so great. So, like I love when when we have fights like this that you don't need insults, you don't need trash talk. People are just excited for it just because it's the fight. Like how rare is this?
5: It is really rare, and you know that's more. You don't really get that out of the fans. Unfortunately, I love the fans. They 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 are they are the beating heart of this sport. They they're the reason why they're a big part of the reason why we're able to make a living doing this. But for some reason, the fans aren't a fan of good sportsmanship. They love the trash talk and the belittling. But I feel like it's the journalists and the fighters, and the people that are much more involved in the sport. It's a breath of fresh air for us. You know what I mean? It, and I love it, you know? And how could these guys have any lack of respect for each other when they're both so common? You know what I mean? That, stylistically, they're not, the, they're not very similar. But their approach to fighting is very much the same. It's just pure violence going forward. The ability to take a shot and break guys with their durability and and you know they they share a lot of common ground in, in the way that they fight not stylistically but just their their total their their the art of their fighting the art of their toughness and violence and just the everything about it you know and, and the both of them are wrestlers there's a lot of there's common ground in those types of aspects um but it's a it's awesome it's it's just gonna be a fun fight they're gonna be high-fiving they're gonna be bleeding all over each other they're gonna be freaking. You know you know Ferguson's going to get an elbow in on the guard, but you know Gaethje's going to Cobra Claw, grab him by the head, and get him with those nice short uppercuts. It's just going to be crazy. You know what I mean? And who knows what to expect? I just – I the one thing I do know is it's not going the distance. If that fight goes the distance, I bet you Ferguson will have been dropped probably like six times, and Gaethje will probably have like 70 – stitches you know he'll probably need 70 stitches to sew his face back up if they go five rounds i think it's of their best interest to not go five rounds i think it's up their best interest to, try to put each other away early because if those guys fight each other for 25 minutes they, you know they might not have come out the same as they did before you know they might come out of that octagon change for the rest of their life you know what i mean who knows there, there can be a lot of crazy shit happening in that in those 25 minutes but hopefully it's two so i look like nostradamus two yeah. rounds less than two
1: this will be out there for the yep. world to see. Uh, a couple more things. Speaking of violence, your idea for Fight Island, pretty fascinating. For those who didn't see it, what should happen on Fight Island if you had the, the book and the pencil and the power? What should happen on Fight
5: Island? I think it should be a reality show, honestly. I think if they were to do anything – I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying that as a joke. I really think that Fight Island is the perfect recipe to do some type of mixed martial arts reality show, whether it's some type of Ultimate Fighters spinoff, or something that's the perfect layout, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, it's going to be like out of just a new little sprinkle, a new little flavor. You know, it's like do an ultimate fighter again, but do it on Fight Island or, or find other some other way to make a reality show that involves live fights, you know what I mean? Or, or even if they're pre taped or something, I think there's so there's more you could do than just put on regular fights there for the international fighters. I think that you could really spice things up with some some different types of shows. I mean, we need, we love watching live fights. That's what's most important to us. That's, that's that's, you know, that's what this is all about. But I mean, with so much free space with no sports going on, why would you not try to film some type of show right now? You know what I mean? There's nothing else going on. You know, you're, you're already putting on live fights. So you you would just be packing on bonus points, essentially, if you could figure out some type of show you could film on the island and, and turn it around and edit it and get it on air quick, you know what I mean? We'll see what happens. Maybe Dane will hear this and he'll take up my idea.
1: Ultimate fighter with soccer
5: kicks. It, it, ultimate fighter, fight island. I better be a freaking coach. <laughs> I swear. I better be a coach. I Not just because I want to be on fight island, but Mike, I won the longest running season of the ultimate fighter. 13 weeks. 13 weeks. I know how to coach a season. If they come out with the ultimate fighter, it would be criminal not to have me as a coach. At least at some point. you know, At some point, I got to be a coach on the ultimate fighter.
1: I would agree with that. And, and, and last thing before we let you go, and, and I cannot believe we're going to have this conversation right now. I have to say, how dare you say that Topanga was a bigger heartthrob than <laughs> Kelly Kapowski? That is erroneous, Michael Kiesa. That is erroneous. I mean, you're, you're 32, so you're a youngster compared to me. I got you by a few years. And I could say that when I was a kid, "Say by the Bell was on multiple times a day on multiple different channels. You could not avoid "Say by the Bell even if you wanted to. And to me... Kelly Kapowski is the gold standard. She gets some demerits because she cheated on Zach Morris a couple times. There but She was go. freaking royalty, Mike.
5: You said it right there. She cheated. She's a cheat. She's a cheater. <laughs> Topanga's a saint. She's a great, decent woman. And you know what? With all this debate that I have started about Topanga and Kelly Kapowski, Kapowski or whatever, what is it, Kapowski, we need to reach out to both of them. And we need to get them on some type of interview where we can do some type of debate. Like get them side by side, you know, get a panel of judges to ask some questions. Maybe you, me, Luke Thomas, you know, maybe we got to start getting them involved and get, you know, maybe they need to debate for themselves because obviously it's it's a it's a hot topic in the mixed martial arts community right now. Maybe we need to get them involved so they can plead their case. You know what I mean? I'm a taken man.
1: But- me too. Me too. Right here, <laughs> but we you know? all
5: want to. That'd be great if they, let's see him debate about it. You know, maybe that could be a fight Island matchup. Maybe Topanga and Kelly Kapowski can fight about it. Screw it. Might as well. You know,
1: <laughs> that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Wow. That solves everything. We, we, every we've thing. just made history here. We've just written the book. We've written the UFC schedule for the next three months on fight Island. I know fight Island. I got, I'm,
5: I'm just a source of ideas for fight Island. I'm down.
1: <laughs> the fight Island commissioner, Michael Kiesa. I think we got yeah. something going here. But,
5: there
1: you uh, yo. What a way to end it with the future and potential commissioner of Fight Island, Michael Chiesa, wrapping up another edition of What the Heck on MMAFighting.com. And I still stand with my feet firmly in the ground that he is wrong in this Kelly Kapowski versus Topango thing. And if you think it's Topanga too you're out of your mind. Sorry, you're just wrong. But, uh, It's your opinion. I'll respect you the way, but you're just wrong. But thanks for watching and listening to the show here on MMAfighting.com and all of our other broadcasting platforms. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're getting the show. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Because not only do you get this show, you get a whole bunch of other great stuff as well. You get all the A-side live chats. You get Eurobash with Pete Carroll and Niall McGrath, plus a lot of UFC 249 coverage and stuff over the next several days that'll be popping up on all those platforms as well. And uh, a little birdie told me that a new show is coming to the network very soon, so stay tuned for that. And make sure you stay connected with MMAfighting.com for this great, this this crazy stretch of time for the UFC, which kicks off with UFC 249 on Saturday night. Our guy, Jose Youngs, is in Jacksonville, getting you all ready. He's going to be providing coverage, and we're going to be doing lots of stuff throughout the week and throughout the weekend. But that is it. I am done. My ramblings are finished. My name is Mike and as always. Have a heck of a week, everybody. Media Podcast Network.